This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, I want to cover a couple of things right out of the gate. 81 points in a football game? I need you to tell me what you made of Oregon's thrashing of Portland State on Saturday. Was it poor form? I didn't think so. But you could argue otherwise. I don't think it's Oregon's job to stop Oregon. Bobby Bowden said it once upon a time. He had played Lou Holtz in a football game. And the Florida State coach said, hey, it's not my job to keep us out of the end zone. That's your job. Portland State will move on and play Wyoming this week. Is it possible that there's a upset brewing? Keep an ear out for it. We'll have Bruce Barnum on the show today. Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. Jonathan Smith and Oregon State went on the road in a weird Sunday game and played a very subdued San Jose State opponent. And by subdued, I mean... Their offense, the Spartans' offense, was almost in a coma. And I could not help but notice during that game that a lot of that had to do with the fact that Oregon State was playing some really good defense. Is it possible the Beavers are better on defense this season despite the losses of Jack Coletto and Jaden Grant? We can talk a lot about that. Lots to talk about on today's show, but I want to start with your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the number. We'll take your phone calls. I want you to weigh in. I did not blame Oregon for – I don't want to say I don't blame them for scoring 81 points because anytime I see an 8 and a 1 on the scoreboard, which you don't often see in a football game, 81 points, anytime I see more than about 60 in a game like that, I start to wonder and get a little bit uncomfortable about what happened. What went wrong? What uh, was it? Portland State? Was it? Was it Oregon? Was it something else? Uh, was it poor form? Did they run up the score? I don't think they did. But I also, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. And uh, and I thought to myself, you know, how much of that was was just Oregon playing and or Portland State being able unable to stop them? How much of it was Portland State subbing some guys out? Bruce Barnum played like 22 freshmen in the game. Got a whole bunch of playing time for his freshmen. But uh, it's just really interesting to kind of unpack it and look at it. But I want to know what you made of it. Weigh in, 503-417-7575. And how about Colorado? Coach Prime delivering on the promise to bring it to uh, to week one. TCU a 20-and-a-half point favorite. And Colorado looked like the better football team. Now, it looked in the fourth quarter like TCU might eke out a victory. But Shador Sanders, not that great of an interview on this show. 
was a fantastic quarterback in his debut in a Power 5 conference game. He was lights out, made every throw, looked great. Um, I got to give credit to him. I got to give credit to Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator at Colorado. How about all those wide receivers that look so good? How about Travis Hunter playing two ways for Colorado? And Coach Prime walking into the postgame news conference uh, doing his best impression of a coach who felt like, uh, you know, hey, it's us, us against the world. What are they trying to do to us? You know, who didn't believe all of that business? And I have to be honest with you, it's not the media's job to believe. It's not the media's job to get on the bandwagon and be a cheerleader and take out the pom-poms. But uh, I didn't mind Coach Prime uh, doing an impression of Coach Prime in the uh, in the uh, news conference. He went after Ed Weirder, Weirder who uh, is among those, myself included, who did not believe Colorado could win in week one. Here's Coach Prime. What's up, boys? You believe now? You, you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. Do you believe in that? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote. I, I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. Oh, no. Come on. Do you believe? You don't believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. Next question. Not his job to believe or not believe. I can remember Pat Hill, the former coach at Fresno State, coming over to me at a practice. I'd criticized his team. Walked over to me, saw me at the practice, came over to the sideline, got alongside me, put his arm around my shoulder, and he said, Johnny, are you with us or against us? And I said, Pat, take your arm off of me, man. Like, you know, come on. I'm not supposed to be with you or against you. It's not my job to be with you or against you. But I don't blame coaches who keep receipts. You know, if Coach Prime wants to keep the receipts, I've got some for him. I said three and nine. I said TCU's going to blow him out in week one. They're going to be in over their heads. They're not going to be able to block for the quarterback. And I'm looking at that game, and I'm watching that game, and I'm going, you know what? I hope Colorado wins this game. That doesn't make me a pom-pom-waving member of the media when I make that flip in my mind. No, I was rooting for the underdog, so to speak. But it's not about believing or not believing or whose side you're on. Colorado got it done. I did think the Coach Prime rant in the postgame took away from – the performance on the field. I do think that that was part of it. But I want to know what you think. 503-417-7575. Where are all the Colorado lovers today and all the haters? They're home against Nebraska in Week 2. Oregon's on the road at Texas Tech. Oregon State coming home to open Research Stadium. They'll play UC Davis and Dan Hawkins. That game will be on Saturday. It's going to be a huge week of radio. We'll have great guests. We'll be all over it. But I want to start with your reactions from week one. And, oh, by the way, the Pac-12 Conference, the lowly Pac-12 Conference, went undefeated in week one. Undefeated. Standing on top of the college football world. Nobody's beaten a Pac-12 team. They're now 13-0 and on the season. USC's won twice. 503 417 7575 is the phone number. I want you to weigh in. Steven, what did you make of week one? Yeah, I mean, it was the Colorado game for sure. That was the standout. And, you know, there's a lot of things that jumped off the page in that Colorado TCU game. And, John, I've been, you know, a believer of what Coach Prime's doing. I thought it was going to work, you know, mm-hmm. relatively, uh, you know, four or five wins. I thought it would be closest game. I, even I didn't expect a win. But you look at that game. And I do think that there are some problems still with Colorado that are going to have to be addressed and are going to be a problem later on in this season. But we talked about this last week. 
for Colorado to compete in a lot of games, it's going to have to be in the 40s. And they won 45-42, to 42, and I think that's how they're going to have to win a lot of games this season, which is fine because if they're not going to be the best team, you're going to be entertaining. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun for us uh, just to watch going forward, man. I, I, I love what Coach Prime is doing, and I love the, the message he's sending out there, like you know, playing the no one believes in us and we believe in ourselves. Love that. You know, speaking about the Oregon game, you know, I have no problem with what Oregon did. You know, you got to stop them. And, you know, Coach Barnum even said, like, you know what? We're- no problem at all, though. No, no 81, no problem. No, I, I didn't think they went out of their way to try to just keep racking up points. Like that, you know, they were still just running the football at the end of the game. That's how they I got know. their touchdown. So I, I know. I, I was just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I just, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a problem with it. You know, Oregon wanted to put a message on the board, and they did. You know, they did what they wanted to do. They even talked about it. A lot of their players did after the game. Like, you know what? We have a, you know, we have a real opponent this week against Texas Tech. So yeah, uh, I, I got no problem with that. With the Beavs, man, I tell you what, I was a, you know, I, I questioned that defense with losing a lot of people on that defensive side. I questioned if Trent Bray really, you know, is just that elite defense coordinator. And I t- my take was maybe he is. Maybe that Oregon State defense. They looked uh, good. They looked really good, John. And, you know, I was a little down Oregon State. I might have to readjust what I think because DJ looked really comfortable in the pocket. You know, he made a couple, you know, sloppy throws. He even admitted himself. But for the most part, he was good. That offensive line was a beast up front. I mean, this Beaver team looks really good and looks the part I, I was really impressed with Oregon State. The thing that got me about Oregon State is they acted after the game like it was no big deal. Like they expected to dominate. It was, bus- expect- it was just business it as was usual. business. Like DJ leaving the field, he barely smiled. Like I, I videotaped him. I put on my Instagram. I got I, I took my cam- my phone out and I videoed him walking up the ramp. And, he's, and people, it was really cool because people were calling out his name, DJ, DJ. And they were trying to slap his hand as he's walking by. And I thought to myself, like here's a kid who had his confidence blown, who went to Clemson, no, by the way, Clemson didn't do so good without him, who went to Clemson, had his confidence shot, and here he was getting his, you know, his next best opportunity to kind of show people what he could do. Now, was he perfect? No. I thought, you know, he completed like 75% of his passes, which was fantastic. He counted for five touchdowns. He is physically imposing. Um, you know, running the football a little bit. He's he's got the ability on a quarterback sneak or a short run to to move the pile forward with this 251 pounds. But I thought the best part of him was just sort of the poise he had and the approach he had. And then and then I do think he he does still hesitate a little bit on his reads. He's a little slow sometimes, and I think that will come. I think with more confidence and more work with Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith. But all in all, I mean, it was a home run debut for him. Yeah. Defense looked great. I mean, it was just business. First quarterback in Oregon State history, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. That's what it is in his debut. Yeah. So nothing first, wrong with uh, that. First in Pac-2 history as well. <laughs> that, that I, I do uh, have one question with the Colorado yeah. game, John. Um, do, do they, they looked like a bowl team to me. Do they look like a bowl team after this one game? Would you say, I can see them making the bowl game now? TBD. Too early. Too, hey, hey, look, I, I, I'm giving them credit. I'm giving them credit. I, I said three the and nine. They're not, me, a three, they're not a three and nine team. They're not. They're better than three and nine. But I look at their schedule, and I go, okay, where are the wins? Let's say they start three and oh. Let's say they, they're three and oh. And let's say they beat Nebraska. They beat Colorado State. Let's say they go to Oregon. And, uh, Which, you know, by in- the way, how awesome <laughs> would that be, John? <laughs> Three of Dan Lanning Colorado. Doing? How's ranked, Dan Lanning doing at that point? <laughs> ranked in the top 20 going against yeah. Oregon. Who's That's game day. 
Game oh, yeah. day will be there on on September twenty third in Eugene if that's if that happens. But then it's Oregon and it's USC. Those are losses still to me. Let's say I give them a win against Arizona State because I think Arizona State's the worst team in the conference. Let's say you give them a win against Stanford, even though Stanford looked a little better. They're still sitting there at five wins at that point. That here's their season down the stretch. UCLA, that's not a win. Oregon State, probably not a win. Arizona, maybe. Washington State, maybe. And Utah, that's it. Yeah. They might be five. Okay, I'm not ready to say six, but let's see them play Nebraska. Let's see them. Let's see them take care of business when everyone expects them to win. Yeah, they're they, now a favorite, by the way. It's totally changed the whole. It flipped the whole script. Now everyone's in love with them, yeah. thinking they're the best. It, it's a totally different situation. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. It's a little early, but I like what I saw. I want to take the temperature with our listeners. Let's go to Roy in Portland. Roy, what's the temperature in your world? Oh, John, John, man. Um, let me tell you something. First of all, I got a lot to say, man. Like, quick, uh, you know, that Oregon, I didn't watch the game. I figured Oregon would win. But once I saw that score, man, you can't do that. And I'm not <laughs> being an Oregon hater. You don't I think know. that Georgia could have beat TCU by 81 points? In the, in the, we could have beat TCU by over 100 points, okay? We could have slaughtered TCU in a championship game. But Kirby took the starters out, put third string in for most of the third and fourth quarter. We could have dominated TCU in that second half, but we did. Nobody scores in the 80s anymore, man. That doesn't give you any clout to do something like that, man, against a poor little Portland State, you Oregon. And, I, I mean, I don't know if I didn't watch the game. I don't know if he had his fourth, third string. Scott he did. There, he did. He did. He I mean, put come his, on, man. Yeah. You, 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 don't get no, you don't get no props for that. You don't yeah. get no props for that. I'm sorry. Are you and believing in Colorado? Not, do you believe in Colorado? Oh, my goodness, John. Oh, don't even get me started. I do not like Colorado. I, I do not like Dion whatsoever, and I do not like Colorado. And no, I do not. But listen, man, my daughter could have rushed for 100 yards on TCU on Saturday. You understand that? She fast. I'm serious. TCU. My I, people talk about Texas Tech losing to uh, uh, Wyoming, Wyoming. And, 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 and Texas State uh, beating Baylor. No, 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 no. TCU quite possibly has the worst defense. I've never seen a defense. Get on the field and look like they John, they had absolutely no clue where they were at. I will give the offensive coordinator from Colorado respect because he had the TCU defense looking like, where am I? What do I do? I never played defense before in my life. Why am I out here? Because man, they did not know anything. You can look at the team and tell they was lost. I mean, they had a good game plan. I will give you that. All I saw was missed tackles, missed tackles, missed tackles. Uh, receivers. Uh, Nobody covering the receivers at all. Totally wide over running back. Listen, I'm a college football junkie. If you watch Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator from from uh, from Colorado when he was the head coach at Kent State, you know a staple of his offense is that running back pass to the flat. If I know that, why didn't the TCU defense coordinator know that? Coordinator know that. I mean, my goodness, how many times you gonna get beat by the same play? I do not give. I give Colorado maybe two more games. I do not like Dion. It's all about Dion. I give yeah. him two more games, two more games, because when it comes time to, to come to Oregon and USC, I'm going to sit back and laugh and watch the thrashing that they take, okay? Yeah. You played a bad garbage team with no defense, and you only won by three points. So I, I'm not – no, I'm not buying Colorado. Colorado is a horrible football team. Sorry. Roy. Roy in Portland weighing in. I'll say this. I was watching the team stats during the game, and – Colorado finished the game averaging 1.6 yards per rush. TCU is averaging 7.1. 
Big difference there. 262 rushing yards for TCU, 55 for Colorado. Everything came in the air. Shador Sanders made all the right throws. But uh, Roy may be right because I think in the end, if you can't run the ball and you can't stop the other team running, you may have a problem. Let's go to Mike in Portland. I don't know if Mike believes in Colorado. Mike, are you believing in Colorado? Say, John, I've been saying all doing spring training that Colorado is going to win. And they're going to be undefeated when they come here to Oregon to play the Ducks. Now, you know, normally normally I agree with what Roy say, but today Roy is wrong as two left shoes. I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> Deion Sanders, for the three weeks in a row, had Hall of Famers walking around training these guys, giving these guys insight. I don't know if you heard the speech that Michael Irvin gave him, but he said you, they can't measure your heart. Skill is okay, but the will got to be greater than the skill. So you guys don't understand. Colorado is good. I like Dion, and I'm going to tell you something else. The um, iron sharpens iron. The Ducks playing Portland State, a cream puff, they not, there's nothing there. They, that's not going to make them good. When Colorado gets come to Portland, he's going to beat them like they stole something. And, John, I want to say this, man. I want to thank all you guys out there that said Colorado wasn't going to win. I want to thank all you guys out there that was hating. I want a chunk of change. I'm getting ready to go to Thailand because you idiots don't know football. <laughs> You're spending so all your money you. in Thailand? Wait a minute. What are you doing in Thailand? I'm I'm going to go on vacation because I want money betting against the odds. You guys are listening to Las Vegas. You were listening to people that don't know nothing. I wasn't listening to them. I was listening to Dion. So those guys are good, man. Those we'll guys are excellent. And oh, one out. last thing before we're find one out. last thing before I go. One yeah. last thing before I go. Tom Brady. When you saw Shadour out there playing, what you saw was Tom Brady. He trained him. Talk to you later. There is the Mike in Portland on his way to Thailand with his winnings. I don't know where. Stephen, you ever go to Thailand after you win big? I've never been to Thailand. I don't know that that would be my spot, but hey, good for Mike to go there. (laughs) Mike's going to Thailand. 503-417-7575. Mark in Portland. Oh doing? my God! Do I do I go with Mike or Roy here? I'm I'm in a dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, the squirrel found a the blind squirrel found a nut, so he's going to be tough. T- <laughs> hey, I tell you what, I under I underestimated the portal, John. I mean, you have to be yeah. as an Oregon fan. Uh, I circled Colorado as a win. I don't circle that game anymore because you got to. They beat a team that has talent. They just played for the national championship, so you you got to sit up. And uh, look at that and say, man, the, I don't understand what uh, NIL and the portal is doing to college football because uh, Dion's kind of showing us what the future is. Um, so, yeah. You know, p- people are going to try to model what he's doing. A one and eleven team is now all of a sudden. And I just, I think that uh, it's funny that Roy was sleeping all weekend because the pack or the SEC was one and three against Power mm-hmm. Five schools. Had so I'm sure he wasn't asleep. It's kind of sad that the Pac- yeah. Let me tell. Let me ask you this, Mark. Is, is it? Do you celebrate the fact that the Pac-12 has not lost a game this season and go, man, that is great and this is wonderful? Or do you look at it and go, man, this this is uh, 
this is just typical of the Pac-12. The minute this conference uh, gets its act together on the field, it, it stops being a conference. It's, uh, well, you know, I, I've lived here my whole life, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Pac-12 guy, a Pac-10 guy, so it's really sad. This could be, in 2000, we had the, the, the Ducks, the Beavers, and the Huskies all finished in a 7-1 and one as co-champs, and they were one, they were three, four, and six at the end of the year. I think it's possible for the Pac-12 the Pac this year in their last year to get three or four top ten teams at the end. I mean, they're 13-0. They're and 0. If they just run the table against everybody else, this is where they'll show that their stupid system doesn't work because the Pac-12 is perfect. So we should get a, to- a whole bunch of points. Our champion with two losses should get in. I mean, you know, that's what could happen. They could beat up each other, and nobody's going right. to get in the playoffs. It's so stupid to me. I just It yeah. drives me nuts. I can't and, wait till yeah. the playoffs start. There, and it's underscored, too, by the idea that the the Pac-12, the bottom of the Pac-12, Stanford, looked better. Colorado looked great. Like, you know, yes, you can nitpick and you could say it was TCU. They're bad on defense. I'll buy that because I was looking at it going, eh, maybe TCU's not better. But Mark's right about the portal. I could say that. You know, the portal has changed the game in a number of ways. And, you know, John Wilner and I recorded a podcast episode with Chris Peterson, the former Washington and Boise State coach. I'm going to play a chunk of it here coming up. But Peterson touched on the portal and how it has changed not only the ability for Colorado in programs like that to, uh, you know, in six months have 87 new players and just be a completely different team, and that's the good side of it. But there's also a bad side of the portal, too, because I did. I was kind of looking over at the Mountain West teams and got to see one up close in San Jose State. And I feel like there's a bigger gap now. And maybe it's just one week, a small sample size. But I feel like there's a bigger gap right now between the Power Fives and the Mountain West than maybe there there has been in recent years. Well, and you look at a team like Clemson, who hasn't embraced the transfer portal, portal no. either. They got absolutely crushed by Duke. Like, you're right. The transfer portal is here to stay, and you have to utilize it well. Like, it is a brand-new tool that every coach has to learn how to use. Let's take one more here. Mark is in Klamath Falls. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing well. Hey, uh, just a quick uh, uh, synopsis on DJ. I, I was born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina, so I'm a diehard Clemson fan. And, you know, for the last two years, he just wasn't cutting it. And... I don't know if you know much about his history with Clemson, but, you know, he played two games yeah. when Trevor Lawrence had COVID. He, he went into Notre Dame. South Bend set the uh, record for passing yards. I don't know if it was opposing quarterback or the actual record. And it's, uh, it was over, like, 500 yards. And then also in uh, Boston College. Uh, and he played phenomenal those games. And then ever since then, he was unsure of himself. He lost his confidence. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out if it was DJ or if it was Clemson and their coaching staff. Well, I'm sure you guys saw some of that game the other night, and Clemson got shellacked. They looked like crap. And I have never seen a game since Dabo Sweeney's been head coach. Uh, you know, the, Brandon Streeter was the offensive coordinator. I mean, he, he brought Taj Boyd in. He brought Deshaun Watson in. He brought Trevor Lawrence in. And then all the stuff happened with DJ, and I was sure it was all on DJ. But after that that game last night and uh kate klubnik man he's a joke i think uh dj really has what it takes it's just a matter of him building up his confidence again and i really yeah. hope he does uh, oregon state well this year 
Yeah, look, he played really well, I thought, in his week one, game one at Oregon State. I think he got everything he needed to get out of it. I I do think there's some areas of improvement, of course, after one game that he could have personally, but I just think the kid's got his head screwed on straight and he's got help around him. Like, Oregon State doesn't need DJ to go out and throw for 500 and to win a game. He can throw for 235. He can throw for 250. He can um, operate within their system. And, oh, by the way, Aiden Childs got into the game, and I – I watched that series. I like sat up in my chair to watch that series from the press box in San Jose, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to be scary someday. Aiden Childs looked great. I think Oregon State's got it lined up. Oregon's got a big game with Texas Tech this weekend. We're going to get to it. We'll go to Lubbock, Texas in the 4 o'clock hour, and we'll visit with the beat reporter for the Red Raiders. What went wrong in their week one loss to Wyoming, and will they get it figured out in time for Oregon? Plus, Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach later in the program, trying to get a bounce back from an 81-7 loss. But next, you're going to hear a chunk of my interview with Chris Peterson. I asked him about Jonathan Smith and how Jonathan should approach this season. You'll hear the former Washington coach, Chris Peterson, next. AP Top 25 poll is out in the Pac-12 Conference, uh, as expected, well-represented. Five of the top 16 teams including Oregon at 13 and Oregon State at 16. Colorado slipping into the top 25 at 22. Six teams among the top 25, five in the top 16. Pac-12 Conference uh, doing well for itself. Also think think it might be a little um, underrated. I kind of think Washington, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, that contingent. I'm looking at some of the teams that are in front of them, and I'm going, okay, Penn State. Texas, Notre Dame, I would put those teams up against uh, uh, up against those opponents. I want to play a little bit of Chris Peterson, my interview with Chris Peterson. John Wilner and I interviewed him for about 45 minutes today. But you're just going to hear him answer a couple of questions here. My first question was really about Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, who coached at Washington. And uh, you're going to hear Chris Peterson talk about that, plus a little bit of you know the the change in college athletics. You want the full interview, you can get it wherever you get a podcast of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. You know Jonathan Smith as well as anybody working with him and mentoring him some. But he's a, he's in an interesting position here with this season, this final season, and a really good team and some momentum. Can you put yourself in his shoes a little bit? And you know him. The, the task that it would be to keep your team focused amid, you know, your conference is imploding and you're not part of the future anywhere right now. Yeah. Well, thank, thank, thank our stars. Or thank, you know, I'm sure they're thanking their stars right now that at least they're playing games. And those kids, don't, they really don't need to worry about anything other than just developing skill, playing their best week in and week out. Because nothing's going to happen anyways. They can't make any decisions. They, can't, they don't even know what's going to happen. So just all in on the season. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of figure out what's up. And that's what's going to happen. I'm sure there'll be some clarity before the season's out. There's got to be for their sake. Um, yeah. And so I, I will tell you this. I feel out of all, everything that's going on on all this realignment, and I'm probably missing somebody here that's, you know, in the huge realignment game. But the two schools that I feel the worst for is certainly Oregon State and Washington State because I've felt like those administrations – 
are committed to being as good as they possibly can be, that they're going to throw all their resources you know, at those football programs and um, try to be the best they can be to compete, to stay, have a spot at the table. And, you know, you look at the facilities that are built over at Washington State and all the changes that they did when, you know, certainly Mike Leach was there and, you know, what's going on now. And then I was down at Oregon State, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago and to see that stadium completed, Scott Barnes and company have built and with not a ton of debt, that goes with that thing. I mean, it's spectacular. I mean, they've done everything in their power to remain a player in this. And then, you know, like you said, Jonathan Smith got these guys ranked, you know, inside the top 20, and they get the run pulled out from under them. They're going to have to adjust and adapt, which they will. But you talk about life not being fair. That's not fair what happened to those guys. Have you gotten your – have you been able to kind of grasp – because I haven't, you know, that – was Oregon Oregon State against Boise State could be a conference game. Washington against Purdue is going to be a conference game. ASU against Baylor is I mean it just it it just kind of feels a little surreal still to me. <laughs> yeah, no no doubt. I mean, yeah, I, I no question. I mean, Ohio State, you know, Ohio State rolled into like Husky Stadium one week and the next week Michigan's rolling in and then, you know, Penn State and then and then Maryland cut and wait, what? And and, and this is in late October? This isn't a preseason game? That's what it, it is. I, I don't know if anyone's wrapped their mind around that yet. I mean we're just but um yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's been crazy. I think all this conference thing that we're looking at right now is just a placeholder for a handful of years. It just seems like you know, and again, I, I what do I know? Um, you know well, you what guys, do you think, though? But what what do you so <laughs> eight year eight ten years from now? Do you think there's going to be like a, a mini NFL and then everybody else? I mean, the one thing, the one thing that is pretty apparent is, um, you know, all the speculation. Um, we're missing something that's going to happen. You know, in that time, something big as this thing keeps evolving. You know, there's there might be a little speculation about something. No one pays attention to it. Yep, sure enough, that happens. I do. I think some of the. I think there's going to be a bunch of teams that break away. The football breaks away, and whoever wants to play at this highest, highest level and pay players and you know collective bargaining and all type of things to keep the courts all happy and whoever wants to get in that game is going to cost a lot of money, and you better have the resources to back it up. And let's, let's go do that. And then everybody else falls back and does college athletics as we kind of know it. Like, like NIL on the surface is a really good thing. Kids use their name, image, and likeness to sell a T-shirt, to do a function, to be paid. normal person in their situation that's got a little notoriety should be paid. Like, all that is really good. I remember back in the day when I was at Boise State, and I don't know if you remember this name, Ian Johnson, one of our running backs. The guy was not only a really good running back, he crocheted. (laughs) He was very good at crocheting. (laughs) And he made, like, 15 orange and blue hats, and he wanted to sell them. Put them out on the Internet and sell them. Well, you know how that went over. That was not (laughs) happening. To get fifteen dollars for a hat because Ian made them, 
And it's like, you're like, wait, what? Or, you know, like some of the kids being involved with charities to raise money for, like, these charities. Nope, can't. I mean, it made no sense. And so this is what we get when it made no sense. You know, there's, like, there's no forward thinking to, like, be in front of this to do what's right. And then all of a sudden the whole thing gets flipped. And so now you got NIL that on the surface, and for a lot of sports and kids, it's, it's fine. But for football, all you're doing is buying players anyways. And that's not what this thing's about. And so if we're going to do that, let's just have those teams go, form a league, and set up rules that we can all live by, agree to, and play by, and then it can be policed by someone that can really hold them accountable. That's great. And then everybody else can, can kind of fall back and, you know, then you don't have to drag the golf team and the baseball team and the track team across the country multiple times and, you know, the ADs, they're going to get creative and do the best they can for these kids and keep them, you know, away as short as possible. But it's a huge burden and much more of an expense. I mean, everybody knows right now this other school, the other sports should not have broken away. But there's not a, it's happened so fast that we can't get out in front of it to say, football, you go do your thing. Everybody else is staying put. And we're going to play this Pac-12 with all the other sports staying intact because of the regional stuff makes way more sense, but it doesn't make sense for, you know, the big money is being thrown at football. I kept thinking this weekend, I was watching some of the scores. I mean, Portland State, Oregon, even Boise State, Washington, and I was thinking the money that's involved in Power 5 conference football is separating and creating this gap between Group of Five and Power 5. And, of course, they'll be part of the playoff. Maybe that changes, but... I, th- I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about what you did at Boise State and the way that you leveled the playing field with coaching and recruiting and developing. Do you think that's a more difficult task moving forward or in today's age? I, re- I, I really do. I mean, I do, just from what I see. you know. I mean, we're still evolving this thing, and I think it's going to be four years to really start to see – what effect this has, but it looks like it's already having an effect. I mean, one of the things I just cannot stand what's going on right now is that, okay, whether it's boys, whatever school, does a really nice job, and this is a good player. He's went to this school, and he's being developed, and then another school goes through the back channels and basically buys that kid right out of the locker room, the tampering that's going on, buying kids, you know, off campuses, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, that's just not the right – that's not what this thing's set up. <laughs> There's nobody in this game that thinks that should happen, but it's, but it's happening. And then, you know, I kind of chuckle at this because the stuff that's going on in Michigan, um, you know, with this three-game suspension. And a handful of years ago, you know, I would have been all about that. I don't know the details of it. You know, met with a recruit when he shouldn't be, some similar stuff that was going on in Arizona State during COVID. But so now, how many years later is this? Four years? Four years later or something that, like, he's going to be suspended for games, and then you got people poaching other players out of locker rooms and buying them and playing them. But yet we're going to suspend a coach for three games for something that happened four years ago. Like, we're not even making sense here. Like, if we're going to go after problems, let's go after the real problems. I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around, like, what is really going on here and what are the rules and are the rules and why would it take four years to solve any infraction? I, I, don't, I don't understand this. 
and maybe it's just because I don't know enough. I don't know. Chris Peterson, former Washington coach, former Boise State coach, uh, he talked about some coaching that he's doing now. We all think Chris Peterson's out of the game. He's not out of the game. Turns out he's coaching coaches on the side. He is consulting with a number of major college football coaches. I wonder if Jonathan Smith is one of them. Love to get to the bottom of that. All right, I have a word of warning for Oregon and a word of warning for Oregon State. I'll share that in the next segment. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. This show is sailing along. I always love it when we have games to talk about. Like, we forgot that, right? In the offseason, did we not forget as we were watching all of this nonsense about media rights and all this nonsense about television revenue and realignment and expansion and uh, whose conference is better than whose conference? Did we not forget that this stuff is supposed to be settled on the field where, oh, by the way, Five Pac-12 teams are in the top 16 right now of the AP Top 25 poll, and six overall, including Colorado. What a great story. Regardless of what you think is going to happen to Colorado this season, it's a great story. Oregon sitting at number 13. Really good story. Bo Nix coming back after the injury he had last year. It's a good story. Oregon State with DJ Uyunglele at quarterback. Great story. USC's got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams, and Washington and Michael Penix Jr. did not look bad in destroying Boise State, especially in the second half of their game. Pac-12 has it cooking right now, and it, it's a reminder that you got to settle some of this stuff on the field. Do you not? We, ha- we look at we say media rights, what's your media value, what's your market worth, what's your brand, Washington State, Oregon State, you guys aren't worth being in major college football. Oh, by the way, those two programs had a much better performance than a lot of programs who are uh, perennial powers in college football. Clemson had a miserable weekend, miserable week one. You have to settle it on the field is all I'm saying. That said, I've got a word of warning for the Oregon Ducks, a word of caution, right? We put up some caution tape one. When we know that there's something dangerous, you walk into a restaurant, you see a little sign on the floor, slippery when wet, Um, You know, you know, hey, the floor could be wet here. And so I have a word of warning for the Oregon Ducks and Dan Lanning. Coming off an 81-7 win in week one against Portland State, piled up a whole bunch of numbers, made it look insanely easy. I heard people saying it was a perfect game, okay, as if this were Don Larson in a World Series or, you know, this were uh, the equivalent of, a college football team that ran 11 plays and scored 11 touchdowns. That's not how it went for Oregon. I think it's a a cautionary tale that you get one win, one win for every game that you win. It doesn't count for two if you get 81 points. Now, I'm not blaming Oregon. I don't think it's Oregon's job to keep Oregon out of the end zone. But when you go out and you score 81 points, there's bound to be a measure of uh, confidence or overconfidence that comes out of a win like that. You know, I look around week one in college football, and I saw some fantastic performances. Colorado ends up winning a football game as a 20-and-a-half-point underdog. Wyoming 
goes out and beats Texas Tech. I couldn't help but wonder and think about how big the Week 2 game with Oregon and Texas Tech felt and then frame it by the fact that Oregon put up 81 points in the opener, frame it by the fact that Texas Tech didn't look very good against Wyoming, and I have to kind of think that people who were looking to Week 2, like myself, and saying, that's the week, that's the game where we're going to find out all about Oregon, started pumping the brakes a little bit and going, well, wait a minute, maybe we need to wait for Week 4 in Colorado. No, 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 no. Word of, wash, uh, word of caution for Oregon. If you're an Oregon Duck fan, this Week 2 game against a Big 12 opponent on the road is as big as it gets in the Dan Lanning era. That we, You can point to Georgia in his first season. You can point to the Washington game or the Civil War football game against Oregon State or the Utah game in his first season or even the bowl game. All those pale in comparison to Week 2 here against Texas Tech. They're going to Lubbock. It's tough to win on the road. It's a Power 5 opponent. You're going to have some eyeballs on you. And, oh, by the way, if you can get to Week 4 undefeated and Colorado keeps playing well, game day could be coming to Eugene. This is a huge game. And I would hate for Oregon's players, Oregon's staff, Oregon's fans to head toward this game, this Week 2 game, with any kind of uh, sense of false confidence. Oregon's got to be sharp. Oregon's going to have to play well. It is hard to win on the road in college football. I'm going to say it again. It is difficult to go on the road and win. We saw some teams do it in week one. I think it becomes more difficult in week two, week three, week four, because squirrely things happen in week one. Good for Oregon. Played a clean game. Felt good about what it did on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. I talked to Dan Lanning in the run-up to this Portland State game. Said, what do you want to get out of it? He said, I don't want penalties and confusion. Uh, you know, outside of the whistles, meaning before the snap and after the snap. He was okay with some penalties and some mistakes between the whistles. And, oh, by the way, they were pretty good there, too. But I thought procedurally Oregon played really well. Looked focused, looked locked in, looked like a team that was ready to win on a big stage. Well, guess what? Week two, you get a bigger stage. And if you win there, you get a bigger stage in week three, week four, week five. That's how it works in college football and especially in this Pac-12 conference that has top to bottom great teams, a lot of depth, you have to know that getting through that conference schedule is going to be difficult. Stanford looked better. Colorado certainly looked better. I think those wins are going to be harder to come by. There's not going to be some easy wins at the, at the bottom of that conference. And I think Oregon needs to know going on the road, in a non-conference game against a Big 12 opponent, that is as big as it gets. Word of warning, do not walk in there expecting to uh, you know, put the football down, put the helmets on, and win the game. And I'm sure Dan Lanning is addressing this with his team, but how often have we seen a team look unbeatable early in the season and then show up in Week 2 or Week 3 and lay an egg, especially on the road? Good teams win on the road. Oregon's got to go on the road here against Texas Tech, and Bo Nix has got to have it. His wide receivers, including Troy Franklin, who was fantastic against a Big Sky opponent, have to be there. Bucky Irving was great. But Bucky Irving's going to have to carry the ball more than four times to get 100 yards against Texas Tech. It's going to be a much difficult, more difficult task, and it is a as big a game as there has ever been in the Dan Lanning era of Oregon football. Last year was last year. It doesn't count. Last week was last week. does not count. Not going to help you. You get no points for scoring 81. Again, one win for scoring 81 points in week one. 
Uh, I'll be fascinated to see what happens in Lubbock, Texas. Do they show up to play? Do they show up sharp? Uh, or do they show up like a team who uh, said, hey, we put up 81, we must be pretty good? And don't think that Texas Tech is not after a embarrassing loss to Wyoming, in which they led that game 17-0, lost the game. Don't think they're not going to show up uh, playing as though their season depends on it. Oregon must play this game as hungry as it has played any game in the Dan Lanning era. And we're truly going to see if they're any good or not. Conversely, Oregon State. A word of caution for Oregon State as well. Look, DJ Uingalele was fantastic. Five touchdowns, three passing, two running. Oregon State walked around Spartan Stadium in that week one game on Sunday at looking like a team that had been there before, and they have, coming off ten wins. But if I'm Oregon State, I've got to measure myself against the teams that are truly going to matter in college football. And it's not going to be San Jose State. It's not going to be UC Davis this week. It's not going to be the fans who are uh, going to be loud and going to be engaged and going to be at Research Stadium because they're reopening the stadium. And, you know, it's going to be a bonanza. It's going to be a festival as they play UC Davis. But Oregon State, I would challenge Oregon State and Jonathan Smith's players to try to reach for a level of excellence that goes beyond winning the game in these first three games of the conference season. Truly, Oregon State will be measured in Week 5 when they host Utah. And Utah's not going to show up to Research Stadium with a Big Sky Conference roster or a Mountain West Conference roster. They're going to show up with the kind of roster that can beat an SEC team when you're down eight starters. They've got depth. They're good. That's the bar that Oregon State has to get over. DJ was fantastic. I love that he was calm. I love that he you know, led the offense and engineered scoring drives and looked just efficient and solid. But I still, if I'm nitpicking him, Saw a couple of times where he was a little slow delivering the ball. He had a couple of completions, especially to his backs out of the backfield. Short passes where he hit a guy at the shoe tops or threw a little too high. They didn't get the uh, the yardage that they would have got if the ball had been delivered on time in a good place. I think Oregon State has to go beyond going, hey, how many passes did he completed, and start to examine it through the prism of, was the ball where it was supposed to be? Is the ball where it's supposed to be? Is is the outcome of the game as important to Oregon State as some others? Sure, they want to win the games. But they have to really be process-oriented right now, especially against inferior competition. And San Jose State was inferior. I don't care what they did to USC, they were inferior. UC Davis is inferior. What in the world went wrong with Texas Tech? What happened to Texas Tech? What in the world? Like, they have to... Can you imagine sports radio right now in Lubbock, Texas? Can you imagine what's happening there? It's not the same conversation. It's not a, hey, a word of warning. It's, hey, you know, how much uh, how much uh, more urgent does it feel there than it feels in our neck of the woods? Bucky Irving touched the ball four times against Portland State. 144 yards. Bo Nix could do no wrong. A very different story in Lubbock, Texas. As uh, that team and that uh, program and the fan base, frankly, uh, all trying to figure out what the heck.
what's going on, what could be uh, what could be wrong. We'll be visiting with the beat reporter Nathan Geis, who uh, covers the Red Raiders of Texas Tech. Did you see? Did you happen to see any of their game? I did. Yeah, uh, you know, I was catching the end of the game as it was getting to overtime. You know, because Texas Tech. They got up early. They got up really quick, 14-0. And I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, it's over. Texas Tech going to get the win. And then all of a sudden it gets to the end of the game. And, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that, the Wyoming home field, it's an underrated home field. But, yeah, it's it's, it's shocking that they lost that game because they just out-talented Wyoming. You wonder if it's one of those games where it's a look-ahead spot and they're looking ahead to Oregon week two, knowing that they're going to get that national brand on their own home field. It was a shocking loss, I will say that. I And it took away some of the luster from this week two matchup. But again, I'll go back to what I said in the last segment. Oregon has to walk in there, at, you know, because there's a lot of people that want Oregon to fail. Let's be real. There, there are a whole bunch of people in college football that look at Oregon and see the uniforms and see the privilege and see the Nike relationship, and they go, you know, how do you root for that program? It's like rooting for your U.S. Steel. And so I think Oregon's going to walk into that environment. And, you know, of course, Texas Tech had a bad outcome in week one. We're going to find out from the beat reporter, Nathan Geis, what went wrong, what uh, what Texas Tech is going to be trying to fix, and, you know, how big does this game feel in Lubbock, Texas? And on that note, we're going to go out to Nathan Geis, who is the Texas Tech beat reporter who covers Texas Tech and uh, does a great job at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. He's joining us now. Nathan, thanks for making time. Well, thanks for having me, John. Give me an idea. How did that, first of all, how did they lose to Wyoming? This was supposed to be 1-0 against 1-0, big stage, a lot of drama, and, and now it feels like this game is uh, is obviously very important game for Texas Tech, and, and I'm not sure what to expect. I don't think anybody really knows what to expect from this. Uh, the Wyoming game, that was just kind of a mix of everything going wrong at the worst possible time. Texas Tech is not historically good, especially in the last five years, good on the road. That's a tough environment. That's just a tough opener to have. And they're not great against mobile quarterbacks, even historically, which is something that we probably talk about later. Uh but once they just stopped getting momentum, the offense has no flow. The defense just couldn't get off the field. It was basically just the perfect recipe for, a, I guess, an upset victory by Wyoming. I don't want to consider it a huge one, but it's one that I don't think anybody really expected to happen. But that's the position they're in now. Yeah, and, I, and I'm looking at Joey McGuire. You know, it, it's a tough position for him to be in there. But, um, you know, he... Story you had today. He's basically saying, "Fans, you're either in this or you're not in this." What is he? What is, what is he trying to establish here? Basically, he was asked the question of, you know, how do you respond to the fans that say, "Oh, well, kind of here we go again. The sky is falling." That's kind of a mentality that's ingrained in a lot of Texas Tech fans because this kind of is, you know, the, where the program has been over the last decade, fifteen years or so. But it, basically what he was saying there was that he knows the alumni, he knows the true fans, they're going to stick with this program. They know that one game isn't going to define them, which it's not. It's just not going to happen. But the ones that are saying, well, this team's a failure already, it's way too premature to say any of that. And I think a lot of it, for, I can't speak for him, but I'll speak to what I think is that it's his first game of his second year here. Everybody expected this to be a giant turnaround, 
from last year, from the previous couple of years. It just doesn't work that quickly. You're going to have these hiccup games. You're going to have these ones that, hey, it looks like there's problems. Well, it's a new team. It's a new season. You're going to have these problems. So everybody just kind of take a chill pill a little bit. They're going to figure some stuff out or hopefully figure some stuff out and move forward from that. When, when things are going right for Texas Tech, what's happening on the field? You saw that in the first quarter against Wyoming. Basically, it's what they need is just kind of the momentum to shift. They need a turnover on defense, and that energizes the offense. They need a touchdown on offense to energize the defense. They need a big stop here or there. And we, we got to talk to some of the players today, and they said, yeah, that's how this team operates. If they can keep the momentum they'll be fine. But it's when that momentum halts, they have a really hard time getting out of that gear, out of that mindset of we're kind of stuck here. How do we get out of it? They need to keep that momentum going. They did that towards the end of last year. That's why they won those four games in a row to end the season. They had that in the first quarter, and then it just stopped, and they couldn't get back out of that rut. The head coach said that he warned, his wife was warning him to stay off social media but uh, yep. he said he did not. He went on social media. Uh, uh, is he uh, is he okay after reading what the fan base had to say about him? Joey is fine. Joey is, if you know anything about Joey, he is one of the most on social media head coaches you are going to have in college football and college sports in general. It's kind of, it's a blessing and a curse. It gets his name. It gets the program visibility in a sphere where there's a lot more recruits, a lot more player eyes, a lot more fan eyes. But that does lead into you're going to see the negative stuff. I mean, we know it from the journalism sphere. If you're in a public space, you're going to get some negative feedback. And he's, he saw that on Saturday. He'll be fine. He's a big boy. <laughs> he said it himself. He's been doing this for years. He started high school football in the Dallas South Oak Cliff area. There's nothing new for him, so I, he, he's going to be all right. All right. For fans who don't know much much about Texas Tech, identity-wise, what defines this team offensively? Uh, you know, what should we be looking for on Saturday as, as they meet Oregon? Well, historically, they're the air raid team. You know, that's was brought in by Mike Leach and I don't want to say invented, but modernized and revamped here. That's what made him successful in the early to late 2000s, early 2010s. And it, they kind of went away from that a little bit under Matt Wells has been brought back more now with Zach Kitley. And what they want to do is they want tempo. They're going to go fast. They're going to air it out. They're not going to run the ball a whole lot, but they're going to spread around the field. And the thing that was especially significant last year, they're going to go for it on fourth down a lot. They did, they did it a couple times against Wyoming. I think they're trying to – trying to feel that process out a little bit. But in a game like this where you need to perform, you need to have some momentum on your side, I could see them going for it on fourth down, fourth and short situations, even in their own territory on fourth and three, fourth and four, just to try to get some of that momentum going. So you're going to see that defensively. There's not really an identity here. You know, they just lost Tyree Wilson. He was the number seven pick in the NFL draft last year. So they're replacing a lot on the edge, and they just lost a starting linebacker for four to six weeks, Jacob Rodriguez, to a foot injury. So they're figuring some stuff out there in the middle. But that's 
kind of the essence of the Red Raiders right now. Dan Landing, the Oregon coach, talked a little bit about the heat in Texas, the environment in the stadium. Give us an idea for fans who have never seen a game in Lubbock, Texas. What are we talking about on a Saturday in September? It kind of depends, but I think we're, we're looking at right now, we've got temps in about the high 90s, hovering around 100 degrees. That's just kind of typical around here. The thing you have to be worried about is, when the heat gets mixed with the wind, the wind is a problem out here in West Texas. Uh, you get those two factors in, and that it can, can kind of make a miserable experience for fans out there. Uh, but they they stick it out because, especially here in Lubbock, they've been through it, they lived through it. Uh, not the best atmosphere, temperature-wise and elements-wise, but it, it's doable if you're around it on occasion, yeah. Nathan Geis is our guest. He covers Texas Tech for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. You know, Mike Leach will be honored this week in Pullman, one of his other stops. I know next week that's going to be a big deal in Lubbock. You know, how often does he come up still in in people talking about Texas Tech football? Uh, if you look at a national perspective, his name is synonymous with Texas Tech football. I mean, it was him that really brought this program to a national spotlight while he was here the, the kind of iffy thing now is that you know his departure was very publicized it was not very pretty on any side and we just kind of a polarizing guy in general just kind of who he is but it, it is kind of the sad thing about you know when somebody like that dies it does kind of make you remember the good times more than the negative stuff and that's kind of where we're at now uh, he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame at the end of this month too, so that's going to be a special moment for him. When I'm, you know, thinking about this game, obviously I was thinking about Tyler Shuck, former Oregon QB, who is now at Texas Tech. Uh, how did how does how did his arrival, his performance, uh, how is it going over with fans, and what can Oregon expect? Well, since his arrival at Tech, it's really been hit or miss because he hasn't been able to stay on the field. He broke his collarbone a couple of games into his first season here, missed the rest of the year, started the year last year, re-injured that same collarbone, so he missed a good chunk of last year too. But when he's been on the field, he's been pretty good. Not amazing, but he's been good. Uh, pretty good system quarterback for Zach Kittley. He had some problems last week on some batted balls at the line staring down receivers a little bit too much. He does have a tendency to throw into tight spots that lead to interceptions. But I think he's now, after last week, 8-2 and two as a starter. And it's mm. and so he's he's been solid, but it's been hard to tell, really, because he hasn't had a full season out here yet. 338 uh, passing yards, three touchdowns. Uh, one interception last week. Um, you know, I, I don't think the problems were there. Where were the problems for Texas Tech? It was just kind of that momentum. It started with uh, they got hot on offense right away. They got a fumble recovery, scored right away, got another fumble recovery, got that field goal, and then it's just everything kind of stopped. The defense uh, had trouble getting off the field. Wyoming just ate so much clock. The defense was on the field most of the time. And then when the offense did get on the field, they just didn't have any momentum. They couldn't get that speed going, which is what they had success with. 
in the beginning, and they weren't able to find that tempo that they needed until the very end when they were when they were suddenly playing from behind. And so that's something that they need to correct there. Uh, kicking was also a problem. Gino Garcia, his first game as a starter, he was two for five. A couple of them, you know, they could go could go either way. There was a one right before the first half. That was a weird situation where you're trying to get it off with one second left and no timeouts. But that also needs to be improved. Yeah, you missed three field goals or two misses in a block, and you have to wonder. You lose the game in double overtime. You have to kind of wonder mm-hmm. uh, what happens there if the narrative would be different. Uh, Nathan Geis with us. I'll be at the game. I'm excited to see this game. Give me an idea from Texas Tech's standpoint. The difference between – Hey, beating Oregon at, at home in week two after coming off the Wyoming loss or maybe losing to Oregon, uh, how does that shift the season for Texas Tech? Well, I wrote earlier in, before the season that the Oregon game in general wasn't going to mean much, and really it's not. I mean, you, they still can go win a Big 12 championship. They could go 10-2 and the season and just say, hey, we didn't start very well, but we finished strong. But with how they looked last week and losing that game, I think this game has more importance than before the season because they haven't started 0-2 since in the last 30 years. They haven't lost a home opener since 99. Oregon is the highest-ranked non-conference opponent to visit Lubbock since 94. There's a lot of variables here that makes this a big game, and that's why people have been talking about it and maybe overlook Wyoming a little bit because this game was so big. I, even with the loss, I, fans are going to come out. It's a sellout. It's been a sellout for a while now. I think there's a little bit more intensity involved with this one now instead of had they won against Wyoming. Yeah, I think it's a big game for Oregon because I think Oregon's got some aspirations that that are beyond uh, you know just kind of winning non-conference games. But I think also Oregon wants to recruit the state of Texas. Winning a game in Lubbock does that do a lot for you, recruiting-wise? Does you know? Do you get opponents who come in there talking about you know the footprint in the recruiting? Yeah, I think everybody's trying to recruit Texas, right? I mean, it's like the hotbed of the nation. I think you got Texas and California, maybe a little bit of the Florida, Georgia area. But Texas is a huge recruiting hotspot. I think more or less, it's more geared towards the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, Austin with UT down there, maybe a little bit of Waco. But Lubbock and Texas Tech are still very much part of that. I'm not sure if winning at Tech would help them with Texas, but it can't hurt, obviously. Like you said, they have aspirations, too, and winning a true road game and not conference, that's big for anybody. I really appreciate your time, Nathan. I will see you in the press box. Before I let you go, biggest key for Texas Tech, if they win this game, what do they do? They have to contain Bo Nix, uh, not, and I'm not talking about his arm. They have to keep him in the pocket as much as possible. Like I think I mentioned earlier, they historically have not done well against quarterbacks that run. Andrew Peasley, he only completed about 50% of his passes last year, but he completed enough to make his running more open and a threat, and that's where Wyoming really succeeded on offense. They need to keep him contained in the pocket somehow and then just need to make it, put him a little bit of pressure on him in there. Nathan, I appreciate your time. Uh, read him on the Avalanche Journal website. He covers Texas Tech. Stephen, let's kick this around. 
I think it's a huge game for Oregon. I think uh, a lot of stakes. If you want to matter in the national stage, you don't beat Portland State, put 81 points up, and then go into Lubbock, Texas, and lay an egg. Huge game. I'm hearing from Nathan a little bit that, at least from the big picture at Texas Tech, that this game doesn't mean that much. But isn't that the kind of thinking that has plagued Texas Tech all of its, you know, ever since Mike Leach left? Yeah, it was a, it was kind of an interesting answer that he gave there because I got the same vibe there that it it wasn't that big of a deal that Oregon is coming down to Lubbock. And I would think that that is a really big deal, especially for a team that had a nice season out of nowhere. Joey McGuire last season had a lot of momentum coming into this year and then struggle in that first game and lose. So I, I do wonder if that loss, you know, we talked about this with Colorado. Like, if they jump off to a bad start of the season, how do they react? Now, they don't know. They won. But how does Texas Tech react to that week one loss? Do they bounce back and say, you know, we need to win and play with a sense of urgency here in week two? Like, we can't go 0-2 to start this season. Or is it one of those things where they think maybe we're not as good as we thought we were going to be? And, you know, they kind of pack it in already. I'm very intrigued this game because I think it's big for Oregon. If if you want to be a good team, it's like you said, you got to win games like this on the road. Texas Tech, a middle-of-the-road Big 12 team. But... If you want to be considered in the college football playoff, you got to win games like this. So I, I'm very interested because I, I, you know, going into the year, I thought this was going to be a tough game. I thought Texas Tech probably, you know, maybe, maybe may get the win. I don't know that call, you know, the, the call right there by Nathan didn't give me a lot of confidence in uh, Texas Tech week two right there. I think, uh, regardless, tough place to play, tough circumstances, difficult to win on the road. Period. End stop. Like it, it is difficult. For teams to go on the road and win. It's why I was impressed with the way Oregon State played at San Jose State. It's tough to go on the road and win. It's why I was impressed uh, with the, I mean, I think Texas Tech found that out, you know, going to Laramie. You know, they had to go on the road and they couldn't get it done. There was a lightning delay. You're dealing with conditions. You're dealing with a foreign environment. You're dealing with travel. It's just a complicating factor. So I think Oregon going to Lubbock you know, at least it's only, only 90 degrees expected for game time. How much do you think the weather's going to affect Oregon? I think it's a factor. I, I think, you know, I don't know how you prepare for it. I think Dan Lanning joked that he could have his guys wear sweatshirts during practice all week long, but it's not really going to do it. Are you in shape? Are you not in shape? There is an element of cramping and hydration and sideline management, and, you know, they have the fans going everything. It was, it was warm in the Bay Area. It was 90 degrees in the Bay Area. Oregon State had fans on the sideline. I mean, you... You take the necessary precautions, and you get the equipment, and you, you know, tell your guys to hydrate, and you have IVs ready, and and uh, you know, you, you do what you're supposed to do as a program. But in the end, I mean, I think there is an element to Oregon, you know, playing well against Portland State that it's encouraging. I wish they would have been tested a little more because I think a better week one test would have given them more focus. Might have given them some areas that you know they're not. They you know because I think the danger is that Oregon doesn't know where the problems are right now, because of the way Week One went. Well, I, I think it, I think to that point, John, it's all about the veteran leadership of Bo Nix. Then, right? Like he has to know, like you know, we have to play well and where we still are struggling in certain areas, and that's why you're lucky to have a guy like Bo Nix who's been around for so long. He should be able to go into that environment and be okay, even if things hit the wall a little bit. Anna's popping into the studio. We'll have the 5 at 5 coming up. Plus, Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, will be joining us in Hour 3 of the show. I want you here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide.
I've really been fortunate in the writing endeavor that I have taken on in leaving the newspaper and going out on my own at johnconzano.com. I've I've really been fortunate. I've had good people around me. I've got good editors. I've got good marketing people, good ideas. Um, I you know I've had a lot of things that that have fallen my way, including some former editors who have who have uh, volunteered to kind of help give input and ideas because you need that kind of stuff behind the scenes. But one of the things that has really surprised me is the how popular the photo galleries at johnconzano.com are with readers. I'll admit I'm a writer, and sometimes the writers don't think about the pictures. But there are people who love to look at pictures from games like the Utah-Florida game. I had Rob Gray, the great photographer in Salt Lake City, works for the AP. He worked for me on that Thursday night, shot that game. He shot the beep out of that game. Then you fast forward to Saturday at Autzen Stadium, the great Serena Maronis on the scene along with Tim Healy. Two photographers, one game, and you need that when a team scores 81 points. You really need two photographers on the scene. They did a fantastic job. Had one of them focusing more on Oregon, the other on Portland State. Healy's uh, candid stuff, you're going to see it throughout the season because I had him shooting players and personalities that I really want to focus on and tell stories about. And Serena is just uh, like nobody else when she's shooting action. She was great. The gallery of that game is online. You can check it out yourself. There's no paywall. You can go to johnconzano.com. Just get a free subscription. You can see it. Uh, then came Sunday. I'm at Spartan Stadium, and a photographer named Joseph Dykus was on the scene there. And I told him, I said, I need a lot of DJ. I need all that, but just shoot the game. And he came up with some sequences on Oregon State's win over San Jose State that are just mind-blowing. There's one near the goal line where you've got, you know, uh, Oregon State running back Damian Martinez sort of getting tackled at the goal line and, you know, sort of slamming his way into the end zone that Dykus just captured beautifully. It's just this three-shot sequence. And again, I'm a writer. I never used to look at the photos as much. I'm noticing the photos now. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, what is it about visual photos that people love so much? Um, I mean, I, I think it just captures the game in a way that video doesn't um, because there's just certain moments um, that your photographers have gotten already this season that's like wow that's a really cool shot and i think it would be really interesting to bring uh them on the radio occasionally and talk with them about their process because i know as a reporter having worked with photographers on the video side anticipation is like 90 percent of their job i mean obviously they have a talent in having the shot be in focus and, and the framing composition and all that but like when it comes to sports photography more than just about anything else maybe like wildlife photography yep the anticipation um is key because if you are a split second behind the action you don't get the shot and then it's been really interesting talking with serena because i've had a chance to talk with her about what is it that makes a good shot like what is it that really makes her work stand out and she talks about the eyes like yes. especially when it comes to football you know it's being able to be in a position where you can catch the eyes of the player in a crucial moment because the eyes tell the story 
of what is happening. And that's such a great point because if, if you're in the wrong position, if you're in shadow, if you're not on the right side of the field, um, you miss that. And all you get is a helmet, right? Yeah. And, or, and I think so often we don't get to see the player's eyes Yeah, because we're watching on television or I'm in the press box or you're in the stands. And in so much of that, you're right, the anticipation part, like Craig Mitchell Dyer, who is the team photographer for the Timbers, yeah, yeah. does a, like soccer is a very difficult sport to shoot. <laughs> You have to be. You have to have the right camera, the right lens, be in the right position, be a, and you have to know the team. You have to yeah. know what you know what they do situationally. Mm-hmm. Serena does that well. Bruce Ely, who a uh, long time at the newspaper, he's now with the Blazers as a photographer. Nobody better than Bruce in doing that. Um, and but Serena does that. Tim Healy does that. Naji Soccer, who is another photographer that we've got on staff at JohnConzano.com, he was he's going to shoot the Oregon State. UC Davis game coming up this weekend. He last year took, I thought, one of the best photos I've seen on college football ever off an Oregon State game. Mm-hmm. And I think we have committed, like, you know, significant budget dollars to hiring a team of the best photographers. And I got to be honest with you, like, I find myself, I told uh, Serena this off the Oregon Portland State game, I said I had a really difficult time looking through the shots, trying to figure out which shot should be the lead one. Because she had this photo of Bucky Irving, the Oregon running back. Mm-hmm. He's on his way for like a 55-yard <laughs> touchdown run, yeah. and he's watching himself on the video screen. <laughs> his eyes are up on the video monitor at Autzen Stadium. She got the shot. That's great. And, and to, in order to get that shot, you have to be in a vantage point where Bucky's running towards you, mm-hmm. and you have to be re- using the right lens and anticipating and still have to get it in focus and get the right shot. But... People haven't seen that photo. Go to johnconzano.com and look at the Oregon Ducks Portland State photo gallery. You can see Bucky a number of times, and Bucky's got great eyes. Bucky's eyes are wide open when he's running. <laughs> like he is, he's looking for the angle, the blockers, you know, and you can see his vision on the field. But I just, I never, I, and this, I'm going to admit something. When I used to cover games, I never much thought about the photography that was going with my columns. Mm-hmm. Oh, you took it for granted. <laughs> I didn't take it for granted, but it was my job to paint a picture with words. Right. And I couldn't control what the photographer was doing or what they were shooting, or even if they were going to have a shot that would, like, like from a distance, yeah. uh, correlate to what I was writing about. Right. Right? And so it was always frustrating for me at the end of the writing process. So I'd finish writing my column when I was at the paper, and then I'd go into the photo bank, and I would see, here's the four photos that are available. Mm-hmm. And none of them really fit what I was writing about. I had to pick this photo that didn't. Now I find myself thinking about how those things go together. Mm-hmm. And I find myself going, hey, one photographer at the game's not enough. Mm-hmm. We need to shoot this thing. And, and one of the things Serena does and Najee and Tim Healy do as well, really well, is they get to the game early. They work the parking lot. They take fan shots. Oh, they yeah. include them in the galleries. Mm-hmm. They, you know, photographs of the cheerleaders, the <laughs> fans in the stadium, the coaches on the sideline. Great shot of Jonathan Smith at the San Jose State, uh, Oregon yeah. State game on the sideline. Artsy. That I used today. Really artsy. But it, it's, uh, it's been just kind of eye-opening for me. Well, not only that, but I think what's been cool about it is the sense of collaboration. Because you get to talk with them prior to the game. Yeah. And there's an actual strategy. Like, there's a there's a conversation that happens before of who's going to focus on what and kind of w- the, the material that you need to gather throughout the season. Because I think what people might not know is that 
with your writer endeavor, like it's really important for you to have a wide spectrum, uh, an archive of photos that you can use as you write about all different topics throughout the year. And I recently got interviewed by Ethan Strauss, who's a prolific writer on Substack. He had the number one Substack publication for like a year. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar started one and passed him. Well, I'm just minding my business, writing about the Pac-12, writing about all this stuff. And Ethan calls me and he says, hey, I, I want to write about you. And I was like, what, do you, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, you have the number one Substack. You have the number one publication on the platform now. And he says, you passed Kareem. And I was like, first of all, I didn't know. Secondarily, I was like, you know, um, there's no secret to it. I just try to do good work, and I've found some things. And, oh, by the way, I've been very fortunate. I've got great people around me, including you, Anna, who uh, got to me at the very beginning and said, hey, think about this. Think about this. Here's How about this? And and i got to be honest with you. I am really lucky to have, like, this core group of readers who got it, like, the day that it launched. They understood what I was trying to do. They knew and they supported it, and they have allowed me to go and go to Salt Lake City and write about Utah and go to the Bay Area and write about Oregon State and go to Lubbock, Texas this weekend. And so there's no limit to what we can do because we've got the support. I'm just, I feel really lucky. It's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. You said it would be. You said it was going to be great. I did. Yes. I, I was nervous at the beginning. I, yeah. A little bit. We were both nervous. But I was trying not to show how nervous I was. You were like, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. I was like, how does she know that, that it's going to be great? I can tell you that first column that I wrote, you know, we were in Las Vegas. I was covering the Pac-12 basketball tournament. It was March of 2022, March 10th, March 11th of 2022. I had, uh, you know, left, decided to leave the paper, decided it was time, needed to do this. And, you know, in Vegas, covering the Pac-12 tournament, wrote that first column and I had gone over to the basketball arena and reported it, went back to the hotel suite, finished the column, posted it, and then got on the elevator with you, Anna, and go down to the casino floor at Stephen's favorite casino, Cosmo. <laughs> and uh, we are walking through the sports book, and I got my phone out, and I'm looking at my phone. And every time somebody subscribes, I get an email it says, hey, so-and-so subscribed. And I love that connection that I have with readers where I can literally reply to their email and be like, hey, thanks for reading. Uh, but I got a, and I looked at my phone and it was like, ding, 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 ding. And I was like glassy-eyed, glassy-eyed. And I never got that except maybe in my first newspaper job when, I, when that first paper hit the driveway that I'd written something in. And so for me, it's been just super invigorating and energizing to have that connection with readers, and I just, you know, I feel really fortunate, and I told that to Ethan Strauss when he was interviewing me, but, you know, I don't know that I have the answer to fix journalism, but I know that we have a special thing going with johnconzano.com, and, and the readers are, uh, you know, the most fundamental part of it. I remember that, because I remember we were sitting at that horse racing game for everyone who hasn't played it. It's called Derby Deluxe. And it's one of the most amazing games in That's the world. That's your game. It's my game because you can sit there for a long time and not spend a lot of money and have a wonderful time, not to mention the free drinks. Um, but we were sitting there, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if anybody was going to subscribe. Um, and you're right. When people started subscribing, we're both <laughs> – people must have thought we were – crazy or on something but somebody uh, there was a duck fan who walked by me we were sitting yeah. at the game and he was like hey you retired i was like i didn't retire 
I just decided to go Jerry Maguire, like fish have manners, you know, like, you know, I would decided I needed to do my own thing and it was nothing against the paper, you know, nothing against that. I have no hard feelings. You know, I, 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 I worked at six newspapers. It was time to work for me. It was time for me to work for readers. Well, and to we get just back to that. weren't sure that people were going to get it and they did. And when they did, we're both sitting there. Yeah. Near tears. Yeah. Betting on fake electronic horses, not near tears, like, no, let's just be real. We were both crying. And um, it's been, it's been, it's been, there's been multiple moments like that throughout the last year and a half. And for anybody that has gone off and launched their own business, um, small business, big business, whatever it might be, whoever has, you know, done that brick and mortar or a side hustle that became a main hustle kind of thing, like, it's, um, you know, you know the fear that comes with that, um, the uncertainty that comes with it, and then the moments along the way where you have relief and you go, oh, okay, this, is, this, this thing is actually going to work. I remember having a conversation with a person who has launched their own business and had that very fear, and he told me, he said, this is going to be invigorating for you in a way that you don't understand and he was right in that I go now I'm be honest with you I went to the cover that Utah Florida game last Thursday in Salt Lake City I'm in the stadium and I think we captured it on the radio interview that I did and there's just an electricity there's it's fun to be back at the games because I want to be honest like it's not just any one individual newspaper that whole industry has lost its way it's not serving readers anymore it's not telling the best stories anymore it's not going where the stories are anymore I needed to do that all right I mean, but there's yeah. still individual writers yeah, there's great writers I love like writers. Nick Dashiell covers the hell out of Oregon State like he's good on Oregon State I don't want that to be lost in this but I'm just saying the industry as a whole it's disheartening to watch newsrooms that had 75 reporters down to seven. You can't cover the things you're going to you, you need to cover when you're when you're in that position and you lose your way and they get focused on clicks and clickbait and headlines and short posts and it's just uh, it's disheartening. And so I love the fact that readers get it. So if you're not already subscribed, just grab a free subscription or a paid subscription, whatever works for you, obviously works for me at johnconzano.com. All right, we're going to talk some sports coming up. Oregon put on 81 points on the scoreboard against Portland State. Did that chap you? Did it rub you the wrong way? 503-417-7575. Um, I, I don't think it's Oregon's job to keep Oregon out of the end zone. Do you? Also, Oregon State now will open its stadium. This Saturday, Reeser Stadium getting an opening. Will you go? What are you looking forward to? The Beavers have got something cooking, don't they, this season? Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm going to take some phone calls here. I want you to tell me Oregon got 81 points. Did that make you uncomfortable or not? What did you make of Coach Prime's week one debut? Uh, Anna, you didn't hear what he said. He went after one of the reporters who didn't pick them to win the game uh, after the game. Here he is checking his receipts. What's up, boss? You believe now? You, you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. 
Do you believe in that? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote. Down. I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. Oh, no. Come on. Do you believe? You don't believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. Next question. Ed Werder, ESPN, was the reporter. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, Werder tweeted, Saturday was surely among the greatest in the life of Deion Sanders, both as a coach and a father. Congratulations. It was mesmerizing to watch. Classy response. I thought Coach Prime, I get it. It's part of his persona. That you know, us against the world. He's saying it now with the Nebraska game. This is this is personal. It's Nebraska. It's a rival. He's saying it's personal. You know, he's yeah. he's creating. He's drumming up motivation yeah. and and drumming up attention. But I think he took away from the win. I think the performance should have been what people are talking about, and instead we're talking about him. Yeah, it's Coach Prime being Coach Prime. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, by the way, reached out to Shador Sanders and gave him a three-word bit of advice after the game. He told Shador, don't be satisfied. Texted him mm. that. Texted him that. How about that? Let's go to the phone lines. Gary's in Tualatin. 503-417-7575 is the number. Gary, you're going to start by saying? Hey, go Ducks. Um, I think they should get some credit for keeping it under 100 points. That, that Oregon should. Yeah. Do you think Oregon pulled back? I think when you have the second and third string, uh, they work as hard as the first string in, in practice, and they want to score too. Uh, I, the thing I liked about it is they let Ty Thompson throw the ball downfield, where Dillinger, he just kept having him throw these screen passes or handoffs or whatever when he got ahead. And how do you develop a second and third string quarterback if you don't give him game time? You've got to give him game time. You've got to give him, you've got to let him run the offense, and he did. Uh, and really, there are only four four play uh, touchdowns for the most part. So how are you supposed to uh, not score? Yeah, I think I don't think they could have got a hundred points. I think that Oregon was playing it pretty straight. And I think Portland State was, you know, Oregon was substituting players. I don't blame Oregon for scoring. It's not their job not to score. It, it, I also think Portland State was subbing in a lot of young players. I looked at the participation chart after the game. Bruce Barnum played 22 freshmen, including seven true freshmen. So he's coming on at 524. I don't, I don't know if he's mad. I don't know if he's not mad. I don't know what he's going to say about Oregon scoring 81 points on his team. I haven't heard a peep from Bruce. This is going to be the first time I talk to him, 524. So I want people here see if he's fired up or not. But I suspect that Portland State was going, you know, Barnum said it last week. He said, if this game's out of hand in the fourth quarter, five scores or more, I got a plan. His plan was to pull guys out himself and play young players because he didn't want to get his veteran players, including his quarterback, hurt. And it was a strategy. And so I think you had second, third stringers at Oregon playing against second and third stringers at Portland State. And the second and third stringers at Oregon are better. So I think there was, I think it was, there was more at play here, too. It's a business transaction. It's not a football game. You know, Portland State was making $575,000 to play that game. That's why they were playing that game. Oregon needed an opponent 
needed to sell tickets to 45,000-plus fans who would show up for it, needed a game that they could play that they didn't have to travel for, and, you know, they get a game before they get Texas Tech. So that game's scheduled. And, oh, by the way, Willie Taggart was the coach when the game was scheduled. So I think Portland State was thinking, hey, we're going to get Willie Taggart's ducks. Nope. Didn't happen. Buckle up. (laughs) I'm impartial uh, to the Portland State kids because they volunteer year after year at Camp Exceptional. And a lot of those kids came for five straight days this week, and I watched them root on little ones, little ones with disabilities. Like, they were the ones that were there tying shoelaces, letting kids put flowers in their hair. And so on a personal level, like, I know it's a business transaction, but on a personal level, it was hard for me to watch the Vikings players go in that we know from hanging out with them for a whole week and just get stomped like that. Like, I I would love to know from Barnum what that conversation is for him and the team going in. Like, for me personally, I I, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to go into Autzen Stadium and be at such a different level as a team than what the Ducks were. It's such a David and Goliath situation. So what is the psyche of the players when they go in there? I know... They were excited, like as we yeah, talked they, to them. They were the saying camp, that this was going to be the largest crowd they ever play in front of, and their family would see them on TV, and yeah. and maybe they got something out of it in yeah. that way. Yes, but it was—I mean, it was evident they were in over their heads, right? Regardless of you know what happened in the third and fourth quarter, it was fifty to seven at halftime. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so I, you know, I there, but any game that there's eighty-one points scored in. There's some level of discomfort for me. Yeah. I don't care who's scoring it. Mm-hmm. I, and it's, you know, especially if it's a youth sports game. Yeah. Mark is in Beaverton. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. So I agree with you and Anna and even the caller, um, the caller before in that, um, you know, first of all, the, you think Coach Barnum didn't want the kids fired. And so that's probably why he pulled them. And, because they, you could just tell that they were so tired, you know, on the field by the, by the third quarter. So I'm sure he did that to prevent any, any risk of injury. And you asked the question before this segment, uh, you know, do you think that, that Oregon ran up the score? I would say no, but the difference between a sports fan and a non-sports fan, sports fans are going to go, look, your job is to stop them. If you can't stop them, but then that's on you. Non-sports fans will say, well, shame on Oregon. In fact, I read an email the other day on one of your emails um, said, shame on Oregon. Well, it's not Oregon's job to do that. It's it's Portland mm-hmm. State's job. So I just think it was, you know, kind of the average, you know, what you would expect. Yeah, and I think, you know, I know the principles involved. Dan Lanning was not trying to embarrass Bruce Barnum. Mm-mm. Yeah. And and if you're running double reverse flea flickers at the end of the game, I'm going to go, hey, you mm-hmm. know, if you go for two – when you're up, you know, it's point number, you score your last touchdown, let's go for two. Different conversation. Dre in Portland. Dre, we got about a minute. Go ahead. I mentioned, or she asked, what, what will Portland State coach say after a loss like that? If, if, if I'm the coach, the only thing you can say is we have to get better. Period. That's it. What else, what else can you say? It's college football, right? Let, let, let's get better. And, and real quick on Dion. He said a lot, man. They cannot lose their next game. 
They have got to win. Yes, they have, they have to. You have got to win, man. You can't, you can't shoot it all in the first week, the first game. You have got to win that game. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Trey, spitting truth. <laughs> now it's Nebraska. Prime saying it's personal. We'll talk about it. Plus, the 5 at 5 is coming up next. Leave it here. Anna's got the 5 at 5 coming up. Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach, will be joining us at 524. You're going to want to be here for that. Later in the week, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach, on Thursday, will get a visit from uh, an Oregon Duck player or coach some point this week. I uh, am locking that down now. I will be in Lubbock, Texas on Saturday. Did I pick the right game? Oregon State is playing UC Davis on Saturday. They're opening Racer Stadium. It's kind of a big deal in Corvallis. You know, it's coming out for the stadium. But I don't cover stadiums. I cover teams and games. I got to go where the game is. The game is in Lubbock, Texas, where Oregon is at Texas Tech. That's the game. Am I right, Stephen? Am I at the right game? Yeah, you are. You are at the right game. As much as I would want to say you should go to Oregon State, I do think this Texas Tech-Oregon game should still be a good game. Portland State, meanwhile, they're going to Wyoming. That looked like a different kind of game a week ago. Now, Wyoming knocked out Texas Tech. This is like a four-team tournament. With Oregon and Portland State and Wyoming and Texas Tech. Well, if you remember, Barnum kind of hinted like, you know, we feel like we like our chances against Wyoming. He did kind of hint that way. We don't want that to end up on the bulletin board. How many foul words will Bruce Barnum say in his interview at 524? Over under is two and a half. (laughs) Steven, what say you? Uh, I'll take the under today. I think he's a little more aware of it. But, you know, there will be at least one or two, but I think under two and a half, I'd have to go under. 100% chance that he blames me if he cusses. 100%, yeah. He does that. Uh, Let's take a phone call. Then we'll do the five at five. Anna's ready. Anna's five at five is going to be good. It's going to include a supermodel. Here is a call from Sam in Portland. Sam, what's going on? John, uh, man, I'm so glad football's back. There were so many storylines this weekend. It was exciting watching the Beavers win. Uh, But I got two things for you out of this weekend. Uh, You know, I'm wondering, don't you think Oregon, you know, the coaching staff could have or maybe should have said, hey, you know, I'm not saying you don't play to win, but there's a reason that a lot of teams – you know that are have potent offense don't put up 81 points on against teams uh, you know from smaller conferences, and I'm just wondering how that you know how that played out. And maybe Barnum can talk about did he did he go in there to just get the players some experience and um, playing time, and wasn't really worried about trying to make it you know look close. But it, it is kind of disturbing. I, I I just think 81 points is a lot of points to put up on a team. Um, you know, so I'm wondering what your thoughts on, yeah. uh, on and, and the other thing is, and I mean this with all love and respect, but Dion gave you more reasons to believe in him in one weekend than Portland State has in three weeks. And so I don't know why anyone would think or suggest that Wyoming, they can go into Wyoming, but I hope they do. I hope this is the year that they can put it together 
and make some, you know, make some wins. But yeah. uh, I'm not sold yet. Yeah. Thanks, All right. You're all right. There's Sam in Portland. I had uh, mixed feelings about Oregon's 81-7 to win. On one hand, like Anna, I had watched those Portland State kids come out to Camp Exceptional and work with special needs kids for a week, like 25 or 30 of them. And so I knew a lot of the players, and I knew that they were up against it going into Autzen Stadium. None of them seemed phased by the possibility that they might lose the game by 40 or 50 points when I talked to them. I didn't ask him, if you lose by 74, are you going to feel good about it? That's what happened. Um, Oregon got what it needed out of the game. So did Portland State, though, in a, way, in a way. Portland State was there for the money and not to get anybody hurt. And I felt like both teams, in that sense, won and both teams lost. Because it, didn't, it wasn't a good look for Oregon either to score 81. And, and, and again, I say that knowing that I started the show today by saying it's not – Oregon's job to keep Oregon out of the end zone. You know, that's Portland State's job. I don't know if the Ducks are good. I don't know if they're great. I don't even know if Portland State is bad or good after that game. So it doesn't it doesn't really serve like, you know, I kept saying to people that game was essential for both teams. It was simultaneously pointless because it was essential financially for Portland State. It was essential because Oregon had to have a game and had to have a home date and sell tickets to season ticket holders and break a sweat and work on some stuff because they have a big week two ahead. Essential. But also pointless in that Portland State didn't have a chance. And Oregon probably didn't get any idea if it was good or bad or did get tested. So it just was what it was. It was a business transaction that we all watched. And Oregon scored 81 points. You know, and yes, to Sam's point, yeah, I guess Oregon could have taken a knee, but would that have been more insulting? It would have been to me. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we're, yeah. we're you're so bad, I have to take a knee. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. You know. Yeah, Oregon just needed. Actually, Oregon needed to do exactly what it did. Yeah, I I don't. You know, look, it, when Oregon deserves criticism, I'll be at the front of the line. <laughs> okay, but not on this one. All right, let's do the five at five. The five. The number one story as Anna sees it is? So I I misread this initially. I thought that soccer Spanish Federation guy that gave the kiss that nobody actually wanted. I thought he got fired. He's not fired yet. It's the coach that got fired today. Oh, yeah? Yes. (laughs) The coach of Spain's World Cup winning soccer team was fired today. Because he hugged somebody? I don't know. They're not saying. Um, there's no explanation from the Soccer Federation. I had to fire somebody. For the dismissal, it mostly praised Jorge Vilda, saying that he was key to the notable growth of women's soccer, thanked him for leading the national team the World Cup title, uh, but he no longer has a job. The other guy that issued the kiss to the player that the player didn't want, Jenny Hermoso, that guy, Luis Rubiales, still has his job. Now, the coach was among those who at first applauded that guy when he refused to resign. Did Jose Rubiales' mother eat yet? Could somebody get her a snicker bar? Luis Rubiales' (laughs) mother. Did she eat? I haven't checked on her. Get her a snicker bar. She's hopefully (laughs) has eaten something. Um, so, but one of the assistant coaches, Monse Tomei, 
was appointed to replace him, and she'll be the first woman to hold that job. How about that? <laughs> They're just tired of people kissing people. But but the you kisser, know? the kisser still has his job. That guy. He's got to go. Get his mom some food. Get him out of the way. Problem solved. Number the, two. The latest yeah, I've seen is uh, the mom actually got hospitalized during yeah. the hunger strike. That's the last. Yeah, no. good, good for her. Yeah, we talked about that last yeah. week. She that, made it three days and then got was in the hospital. That's about what I would do, and I'd be ho- hospitalized too. They'd be like, "What happened to him? He didn't make it. He didn't eat yet, but he went to the hospital. You know damn well she's eating at the hospital. She got a pizza. She got an IV. She's happy." Number two. All right, we've been talking a lot about Colorado, and rightly so. Uh, But this story caught my eye because, so I didn't know that both of Deion Sanders are on the team. Did you know that? His kids, both of his kids. Yeah, 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 both of his kids. Um, The older Sanders, Coach Prime, so he made the Nike Air Diamond Turf Shoe famous during his own playing career back in the 80s and 90s. Fun fact Did you know this, that he signed back with Nike in July? Did did we miss this? Prime did. Coach Prime did? Yes, Coach Prime. He'd spent the last 14 years with Under Armour, but Nike He's signed back. him back. Good job, Nike. Good timing there. And I guess both of his sons, Shadur and Shiloh, wore his shoes uh, in that game over the weekend. It's a marketing bonanza, and it I don't blame him. It is a marketing him. bonanza. I don't blame him. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. By the way, did you hear what Shadur said about the difference between playing, uh, you know, in... A group of five conference versus a power five or FCS level versus a power no, five? No, He basically simplified it. I'll say the only difference between FCS and this level is the D-line get off bl- blocks if you try to scramble up faster. That's it. Everything else, you got good players, you got good DBs, good receivers, everything like that. You just have more of those on the, on the field at once. People fear names. I don't fear names because I really don't care. But... That's the biggest thing. When you fear names and, and you let, that's half the battle. You already losing. Dang, we playing TCU. I respect the university. I respect everything about them. But personally, I just never cared about names. That's a better answer than I got out of him at Media Day. Yeah. Maybe it was your fault. That's what I said. I said that in the beginning. Possibly it was me. Possibly he was like, end of the day, 30 interviews. Yeah. Uh, look, I was He's impressed with him. He's way more animated there. He made all the right throws. Yeah. He looked great. Now he's got to do it again. Yeah. You can't go out, as Caller said earlier, you can't lose this one after making that statement. Number three story, as Anna sees it, is... I don't really understand this story, but I'm just going to throw it out there and hope that someone explains it to me. Uh, Raiders defensive end Chandler Jones went on Instagram, and it's a really good example of why you shouldn't go on Instagram when you're really mad about something or really emotional. You should just kind of take a beat. But he said that his team had locked him out of its workout facility. So he's railing against the Raiders. And their leadership, specifically naming head coach Josh McDaniels, general <laughs> manager David Ziegler, posted a screenshot of messages that he sent to McDaniels. And he's saying, it's a shame that I am a top athlete with 112 sacks in the NFL, and I have to go to a local gym to work out during the season for no apparent reason. He rhymed there. Apparently. I don't know. what What is going on there? There's some kind of... Uh, Riff between him 
and the team. Well, he he's in the middle of a three-year, fifty-one million dollar deal with the Raiders. Okay. And he was trying to get into the practice facility to work out. Yeah. Okay. The NFL suspended him at, in 2015, and then suspended him after he resurfaced with the Dallas Cowboys. And he's a little bit frustrated, but apparently he couldn't get anybody to respond to his text messages. Should I call Josh? Why did you bring me to Vegas? He's trying to get into the practice facility, and he had to work out at the local gym. Um, He said no one from the team apparently would accept his calls, but the team supposedly contacted his ex-girlfriend instead. This is... The Raiders so are bad. strange. You know, yeah, the Raiders are bad. I don't... It's part, what is happening here? Part of the problem is the Raiders organization. And part of the problem is Chandler Jones. I mean, you know, if we're being real, that it, there's... This is a marriage made in hell. <laughs> I mean, it's... You gotta... You gotta... Like, who... Like, that's not the way that you professionally handle your business if you're trying to get into the facility and you can't get somebody to reply. All right, and you shouldn't. It's like kind of like a marriage proposal. You know, you don't get down on a knee unless you know what she's going to say. You don't go to the practice facility unless you know you can get in. And apparently, he couldn't get in. Really, really confused by this. The team has not yet addressed the situation. But it's the Raiders. This is the same organization. I'm telling you. Early in my career, you'd get a you'd get a fax yeah. from the Raiders. Okay. That had spell, say, say spelling your, errors say, in it? Say you're old without saying you're old. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Go on. Go on. You get a fax from the Raiders that would show up at like 7 p.m. And it was in all caps and it had spelling and grammatical errors in it. <laughs> yeah. And you know it was written by Al Davis. Okay. You know that there wasn't a PR person involved. He just went to the fax machine and went, I need to send this out to all media. <laughs> Push the button and send it. Uh, Raiders are a mess. Chandler Jones, you deserve each other. <laughs> Number four. It was a fax, not a telegram. It was a fax. <laughs> I'm sure they're still sending them. The Raiders haven't responded. Oh, check your fax machine, ESPN. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shohei Otani's agent is trying to do some damage control. Nez Bolello. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> he's talking about... You know who that is? No, his agent? I'm just impressed with you. Okay. Pulling that out. Okay. Um, he's addressing Otani's injured elbow. You know, this really came at not an ideal time for Otani. Um, he won't admit that this new injury is actually a, a Tommy John surgery hmm. that is needed. He's insisting that Otani plans to play. Uh, as a designated hitter throughout the next season and does not believe that a procedure would prohibit him from performing in that role. This is uh, not a new injury. Uh, Otani first injured his elbow during his rookie year back in 2018. Yeah, he already had the surgery once. Yeah, he did. So, um, you know, this of of course comes at a time when Otani is headed for free agency and could really affect his new contract. Do you think it will affect his new contract? I think... Or do you think that... With most players, I think it would. But let's be real. 90% of free agent deals are about speculation. Mm -hmm. Speculative deals. It's kind of, you know, it's like the NBA draft. It's all based on, don't tell me what you've done, tell me what I think you might do, Mm -hmm. and let's sell that number at the highest price possible. 
You're talking about a player who's got 44 home runs and hitting over 300. It wouldn't matter if he could pitch. He's still going to get a windfall. Mm. And and I think his agent is, you know, probably not being totally on the level, but that's not his job. His job is to get the best possible deal that he can for his client. I just think the possibility that Shohei Otani may be able to continue to be a the best two-way player that anybody's ever seen is going to be enough. And I think he'll get the deal that he, you know, he wants and and teams will know that they can get him if he's only just a hitter, he's probably still worth $500 million over whatever term that they're talking about. I still think he's going to break the bank when it comes to uh, this next deal. I got another question for the room. I put out a Twitter poll this morning. Travis Hunter, the defensive back wide receiver, two-way player for Colorado, played 117 snaps in the game uh, against TCU on Saturday. 117 snaps, both sides of the ball. Wow. Shohei Otani pitches and hits. Which is the most impressive or the more impressive two-way feat? Steven, where's your vote? Shohei or Travis Hunter? Um, that is a good one. Uh, give me, give me Shohei. I think Shohei Otani pitching and hitting the same game is tougher because just the scattering reports you have to know in every single player when you're pitching. I think that just has that, that tops it just a little bit for me. So I'll go Shohei. Right now, I go Travis Hunter because of the physicality of the yeah. game. And, and Shohei's only pitching what once every fifth outing. Yeah, Travis Hunter's playing but how, every game. But how on. many players have pitched and hit before? You're nobody, right. Nobody does that. We've seen well, in the National that, League. It happened all the time. Well, that's true. But we, <laughs> but we've seen we've seen. <laughs> I saw you know, Rick Russell do it. We've seen players throughout the throughout life. I saw Steve Carlton do it in the National League regularly. Not Were very you well. Faxes about that. At the Not time? very well. But sixty nine percent of those polled picked Shohei Otani. Hmm. Otani hitting and pitching at an all star level is far more impressive and difficult. Uh, Hunter, though, Hunter's not going against professionals. That's another one. But he's playing the most athletic position of any sport. He's playing defense back in college football. And interception in the game. It wasn't like he was, it wasn't like he was just uh, sitting back there doing nothing. An incredible I, interception, by the way, too. Yeah. I'm just tired thinking about 117 snaps. Number five, what do you got? Is it on the facts? Um, yeah, it's on the facts coming in right now um for those that are interested tom brady and supermodel irena shake are still on as a couple googling irena shake so she's the supermodel who whose ex um oh bradley cooper is bradley cooper actor that's why bradley this is cooper. on your radar right now it might be um they have a kid together and they they vacation together. In fact, they vacationed together quite recently, and she was posting topless shots of herself. They're and close. He was shirtless, and they seemed to be getting cozy. So, you know, if you're interested in this kind of thing, like you're wondering, are they getting back together? They're but, not. But I guess... Because she's with Tom. Yeah. So, right. She's, she's still hanging out a lot with Tom. And I, I just think she's greedy. She's greedy, says Anna. <laughs> there it is. You heard it here on the show. Um, Bradley Cooper or Tom Brady? Who's who's the more impressive catch for Irina Shake? 
I don't know, but those are both pretty, like, top-tier catches. It's Bradley it's Cooper, just, isn't it? Tom Brady doesn't seem like he'd be that much fun. <laughs> Steven's best comment ever. <laughs> That's on your definition of fun. Oh, yeah, she's uh, she's posing on the rocks. Right. Where is she from? Mm, I don't know. She's not uh, U.S. born. She's from a runway. <laughs> she's, heaven. She's, she's from born. heaven, John. She grew, she's from heaven, yes. She grew up in a Victoria's Secret catalog. <laughs> yes. I mean, she's just she's she's stunning. very she's very photogenic. Oh yes, I'm on her Instagram right now. Yes, I'm I'm follower number twenty two million eight hundred thousand. <laughs> yes. You know. Yes. Um. So, but I so Tom and Irina have been hanging out. She spent the night at his place in L.A. two days in a row. They were affectionate in a car. They were going in and out of the same London hotel in a car. A few weeks later, you know, mm. thank you, paparazzi, for doing this. But, you know, she continues to hang out with Bradley Cooper. They parent, they've been parenting their daughter together, but they're not really in a committed relationship. So maybe they just have kind of an open, I don't know, or maybe I they're platonic. I don't know platonic. what's going on there. And, you know. I think it was more fun we were talking about Giselle dating the, uh, you know, the yoga instructor. Yeah, the jujitsu guy. Yeah, that oh, guy. they're still they're still hanging out. They're riding they're, horses. <laughs> they're platonically together. hanging out all the time too. Well, oh, they're gonna show up in the back of one of those arena shake photos <laughs> on Instagram, just <laughs> galloping across the beach with their hair flowing. <laughs> Leave it to Anna for to keep us posted on all of this stuff. Yeah. We'll see what happens next. Yeah. Uh, one of the Kardashians. I still have the Kardashians down to get their hands on Tom Brady oh, at really? some point. The family. Like, Mrs. Yeah. Kardashian's plotting. There was talk about Tom Brady, how great it would be if he were, like, The Bachelor, you know, on ABC's oh. The Bachelor. Does that work, though? No. It's not relatable. So. He's I way too part, big for that. Yeah, I think part of what makes The Bachelor work is it's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vaguely. It's com- Like, vaguely. everyone can go, yeah, I could see that happening to me. Yeah, 20 girls all over me at one time. <laughs> Easy, yeah. I could see 20 girls fighting over one person. Tom Brady had 32 NFL teams fighting over him. If Steven were the bachelor, can you imagine the cat fights? Coming up, Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach. Plus, I've got Punch It Audio, got great sound. What is Bruce Barnum going to say about Saturday's Oregon loss, 81-7? to You'll find out next. Well, it was a tough Saturday for Portland State. They... Pulled to within 8-7 early in the game. And then it was all Oregon in an 81-7 victory for the Ducks. Portland State obviously played 22 freshmen. Seven true freshmen Bruce Barnum brought into the game. I got to know where he, what his mindset was, what he was thinking about, and he pops on with us now. Coach, uh, give us an idea what it was like to be out there in the field in that game. Um, my brother enjoyed it. You know, he'd never been part of something like that. You know, um, brought him down on the bus with us. He's here from Tokyo. And, uh, but on our side, uh, you know, John, you said I played a lot of young guys. I made a decision at halftime. You know, in those games, uh, I kind of get a feel, uh, obviously, early. Um, but I'd made a decision going into that game right or wrong um, that I was going to make sure we got to the uh, the rest of the season healthy. It's bit me in the butt. 
in the past, you know, I pulled, we, we had some young guys uh, in there after the that first drive of the, you know, second half. You kind of want to get, just like Oregon did, they put, you know, Bo out there for one more drive in the second half. You want to get them, you want to make sure they're ready in every game to come back after halftime, you know. Now I pull them all, you know, put some guys in uh, for our help. Um, uh, last four years we got banged up in those games uh, against the elite opponents, you know, the Pac-12s of the world, teams like that that we saw on Saturday. So, you know, uh, the experience for the kids is great. Uh, the score, obviously, no. That's not fun, but um, I had a plan. I did it, uh, right or wrong. You know, we got a snowman put on us, but uh, uh, that was our fault. That was on me, not, I mean, Landing tried to, or their coach, their head coach tried to pull back the dogs, you know, because he's, he's got some weapons on that football team. And he had, the, what, third string quarterback in there, I think, by the third or fourth quarter. So it is what it is. Well, we got another game this week. Did you get a sense, because I know you and I had talked about whether or not you know, a year before you kind of looked at Washington and you said, hey, that's a team that can really compete. And coming off the Jimmy Lake year, you could see it. Could you see it with Oregon? Do you get a sense of how talented they are? Yeah, you do. They're not. I said it to somebody after the game. When you play that football team, um, you're, you're, it's going to be hard to find a weakness. You always look for that weakness, you know. Uh, but. Uh, this guy, you can, we can attack this corner. But how they play, it's a smart group of coaches because they're they're not pinning, they're they're not treating Bo Nix like Washington is their quarterback Penix. It's a different system, um, and they both run it very well. Uh, but it's two different things to look at, you know, on game day, and for somebody on defense to defend. This week you get Wyoming. They beat Texas Tech. What did you see on that? I saw that. I saw that. Um, They're different than the team we just played. You know, they're a good football team. Don't get me wrong. Craig Bowles, I I have a ton of respect for their head coach. I think he's uh, underrated. He's he's, uh, tough. He's got tough football teams. That's how his teams play. They're not as fast as Oregon, you know. Um, but I don't know who is, you know, maybe a SEC team or two, but um, they're strong, well-coached, they're in the right spot, uh, and they're going to strike you. You know, It's kind of a, a bend-don't-break, uh, what they do on, on defense, and uh, they're a good football team. And they're coming off a, you know emotional hurricane. Uh, they just beat Texas Tech, the team that Oregon fans will see on TV this week playing their team, and, you know, they won in double overtime. So it was a hell of a game. What do you tell your guys after the 81-7 game? You get in the locker room. you got to talk to them. What are you saying? Well, uh, two speeches, really. At halftime we came in, you know, it was a lot to a little, and I'd already made a decision, you know, on what I was going to do. So uh, I told them uh, we approached it as, you know, win the second half go out, uh, be in the right spot, play your play hard, and, um, you know, do not fold the tent. You know, I said everybody in this room is going to get in, and most of them did. I said, so be prepared. 
Um, I don't care what you were doing last year. You know, I don't care if you were running around Friday Night Lights. You're about to go up against a number, you know, top ten team in the country. <laughs> so um, they're excited, you know. And then you saw when I pulled the vets, they were cheering those guys on on the sideline. They were coaching them up. It wasn't a you know, oh, geez. Uh, they saw that they, they played football all their lives, John. They saw how talented Oregon was also, you know. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, bar, we quit on it. It was more, hey, we're getting boat raced here. Let's let everybody play and get ready for the next week. Uh, they have a, one of their goals um, that my captain said is be 1-0. So... Wash that one away, short memory. Uh, you got another one coming up this week. I don't want to say it's easy to lose a game like that, but is it easier to lose like that knowing you pulled your guys in the third quarter than going out, playing, you feel like you play your best effort, your guys start or stand to the end, you lose seven guys in the second half like you did against Washington a year ago, and now you face the rest of your season hamstrung by the idea that you know, you're – you got seven starters that aren't getting to week two. Well, I thought of that all summer. John, I, I talked to you a little, not a lot, but a little bit about it. I talked to other coaches that have done the same thing, you know, um, and they've gone into those games and done play counts, you know. Our starters are only getting 30 plays. Our second team, I, I heard all kinds of approaches to it. Um, and then I kind of looked in the mirror and said, you know, uh, who am I, Mr. Stubborn at Washington, still trying to catch up, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, the x-ray machine in the end zone starts cranking up. Oh, we'll x-ray him right now, Coach. I, 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 I wasn't going to – I guess I'm getting wiser, you know. I wasn't going <laughs> to let that happen. Bruce Barnum with us, Portland State coach. Dante Sacheray, your quarterback, uh, had – had some flashes early. He had mobility. He had a, a touchdown. Uh, do you take some positive away from his play? Yes, I do. And, you know, I looked at that drive. Calling that drive was kind of a, you know, can you catch Sacheray? How are you going to take the quarterback? The second the drive after that, I said, okay, let's not run him because I'm not going to uh, I'm, I'm not gonna rely on him today. We need to see who we are. Mm-hmm. So that second drive would come out. He we didn't run him, um, and you know, and then it started to get out of hand uh, because of who Oregon was and some things I didn't like that we were doing. But that's things we can fix. And you know, then it got out of hand. Then I said, okay, uh, if I could make you punt, you know, this is what I would probably do to you. You know, uh, offensively uh, uh, trying to attack them. But it was beyond that, so I said, all right, you're not hitting him anymore. You know, because he's, he's faster than the people we will play in conference. Um, and with our run game, there's ways to pop him free and against anybody. It's just uh, how fast, you know, can you chase him? Can you keep up with him? So it was good to see him, you know, get a little light and do some things. And, um, you know, then we moved on to the next guy. When you are looking that was across, kind of a ramble. I don't know if that made okay. any damn sense. But. It's okay. You didn't. No profanity. You didn't. You know. I did. I'm of... watching my tongue. <laughs> Why? You get fined? 
Did you get no, fined? No, no, no. But all the, you know, there's probably a lot of there might the true diehard Oregon people right now are listening. I'm, you know. Yeah. Well, they want to know if you're mad the at them. They want to know if you're mad, mad at them. I, I don't. I don't think you are because I think you're of the school that it's not your job. It's not Dan Lanning's job to keep Oregon out of the end zone. Like it's no. that. That's your job. No, no. If it would have been a different, I might not have ever asked him to go fishing if he left. If he would have nixed us for four quarters, you know what I mean. That would have been different if he left him in until the end of the game. I'd say, yeah. Jesus Christ, Lanning, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I thought you were a guy, but no, he, he did what. Uh, uh, totally respect, you know, bring him out, second half, boom, okay, here's how you come out of the locker room, here's how you're going to beat Texas Tech, okay, uh, see you, Bo, um, coach up these other guys. So, no, he did everything to not score 80, if you look at it. Sometimes there's just no way around it, and if you're playing your seconds and thirds against his seconds and thirds, it's still not going to go your way. I mean, it it shouldn't go your way if if you know he's recruiting the right guys. Right, right, and, and that's how it was. And he and they found some things. They exposed some things in us that were fixing this week. You know that uh, they scored off of and had big plays off of their offense. So you know that helped us. Uh, I was able to sit down and say, okay, well, here's what we need fixed. Or Wyoming's going to do this to us. You know, let's figure it out. Ready, coach. You know, so. We got some things patched up, and you know I've got a first-year coordinator on defense, so um, those two guys are working together, and so it helped us in that. We'll be better this week. We'll be better this week because of playing Oregon. Believe it or not, that's something I was going to ask you because you know a lot of times you'll go, "Hey, didn't get anything out of that game," or you know, "What can you get out of a game like that?" So you're telling us that there there is a redeeming part of that that you can actually get something out of a game like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they've got you know the game. You know, it's kind of fun in these games for me. You ask, you know, what'd you think of Oregon pregame? I've got you know, I feel it's the only time I'm kind of embarrassed at those games. I've got I think my full staff and county, including the guy that my get back coach, the guy that makes has to make sure we got water. Count them all. I think about eleven. You know, maybe 12. <laughs> I think they've got 12 guys just working with their, you know, their D-line. I mean, there's so many people over there <laughs> just coaching, you know, on the field. And I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, you got a lot of bodies. I don't, think, I don't think Dan has, empties his trash out of his office like I do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. You have to empty that, your that trash That always out? amazes me, though. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, you know. No job too small. No job too small. <laughs> what do you think all those people are doing over there? Over where? At Oregon. Oh, over there. Got, well, somebody buy you. All right, Bruce Barnum is with us, Portland State football coach. That's one. All right, uh, Coach, let me ask you, um, you know, from an injury standpoint, how did you come out of the game? We're fine. Uh, you know, knock on wood, we had, we had one guy get his ear ripped off. Um, they sewed what? it back on. What? And <laughs> and now they say he has a concussion, and he can, you know, so he's out. But I think he's fine. He's talking to me today, coach. He said, coach, he really got idea. his ear, his ear like a Vander well, Holyfield. Not the whole ear, not the whole ear, but part he, partial ear detachment. 
I think wow. it was from when they he got his helmet knocked off, and I think his ear didn't I'd come out so. of his helmet. Anyway, I'd so they were sewing so. him up, and so they. I guess that means you have a concussion. And, and again, we're take we're making sure he's fine, so he'll sit out this game. But you know, talking today on the field, he said, Cause, "Coach, I can play." I said, "No, you can't. You're in concussion protocol, so relax." But no, other than that, we have no season-ending anything, which is, uh, you know, everybody else is like, uh, you know, Portland State, they say. I'll tell you what, Portland State's healthy, and that's a bonus uh, for this week and the next week and the next week and the next week. Can your guys use this as motivation? Do they get a little chip on the shoulder, that performance? Are they motivated to come back and show people what they're about? Well, I think the second game, you're always a little better, you know, and that might not show up as much the people watching Oregon because I don't think, I know they didn't show, you know, you didn't see who Oregon was offense, defense-wise. I, I think you'll see some, but, I mean, you'll see things on both sides of the ball uh, to make the fans, you know, really enjoy that third-quarter shout deal. Um, but against us, they didn't have to. You saw kind of a bland, you know, Oregon Ducks team. But I think you'll see them light up a little more with what they do on the field. Yeah. Um, but us, uh, we're motivated. My leadership, John, uh, my seven, my captain spoke after the game. They spoke at today's practice, um, and they're they're mature, smart kids who have won a lot of football games um you know when we recruit them they're from winning programs and they they brought that here and i'm trying to ride that you know give me an idea because you've seen now because you're scouting wyoming but you've played oregon who will play the team that you saw on film against wyoming texas tech how does oregon match how does oregon and texas tech match up because if i ask oregon they're going to go Oh, that's a great opponent. They're well coached. But what do you see? Where's it at? In Lubbock, it, Texas. It's in Lubbock. I I think I don't think Bo will come out as quick, you know, but I think there's a chance that Bo comes out of that game also with a big smile on his face and wow. you know, the thir- 13 kid walks in there and hey, thanks Bo. High five in each other and you know, that's my opinion, but I'll take that to the bank. So I'm just seeing both. And then I've, I've, it's only one game. I watched Texas Tech only play one game. But, I, you know, I watched every play, and I watched it all, and I broke it down, who it is, what they were doing. Because that was a big game for them, you know. It wasn't yeah. like Oregon showed Zippo, you know. Look, we run zone and we run man. You know, when we run man, we're going to bring this guy a little tighter mm-hmm. to your guy. Yada, yada, yada. Offensively, we run RPOs and boot. You know, we'll drop back a couple times just and try to throw it to this guy and see if he can run by your guy. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, like I said, he's not going to come out at halftime, but you might see him, oh, the start of the fourth quarter. You know. All right. So you think Oregon's going to win that game by double digits? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Better athletes? Um. Yeah, they're uh, like I said. Texas Tech can look at that film and, and 
say, you know, get, what are we going to attack here? Yeah. Yeah. I nothing. mean, Oregon up front, up front, they're long. They're, I think they're longer than Texas Tech. Just like their DNs, you know. Oregon's DNs, the length, um, like when they pass. How do you explain this? Their length, when they pass rush, is they're long athletes. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're, 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 in, the, they're, they're in the pingu- way. They're not penguins. They're not penguins. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that helps. That makes them effective. And they're fast. And they're strong. They're stronger than I thought they were, uh, honestly. I thought they are more of a finesse team. Uh, they, I will say that. Oregon was a stronger team just looking at them. More physical than you anticipated. Yes, physical. Yeah. Bruce Barnum so. with us. Um, hey, look, it was Anna and I were talking about this on air earlier. We had mixed feelings in seeing the score of that game and watching it kind of play out because those are guys that came out to camp exceptional and are working with kids and working with special needs kids who are tuning into that game, hoping to see Portland State beat Oregon. You know, they you know a lot of the kids are so young they don't know any better. But when I put that into context, like, you really care about these kids. You know them on a personal level. Was there part of you in watching that game that, you know, you're like a father figure to these guys? Yeah, I mean, you, you – yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's always there. I mean, that's why I do it. That's a, the type of coach I've become for whatever reason I am. I do know my people. I know my players. I know, you know, try to know their families, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, a lot goes into that. Uh, and, and, again, though, um, I know the situation. I know the business side of what just happened, you know. Yeah. Uh, my basketball, women's basketball team is going to Costa Rica uh, this week. Good. I know why, you know. Um, so, and my team isn't. They're smart. The older kids, maybe not the younger ones, uh, but the older ones are mature, and um, they know why they weren't recruited by Oregon. You know, um, uh, and you can see it. Shoot, you can see it during warmups. But uh, there's always that shot. You know, don't lose it before we get there. And they didn't do that. They went out and yeah. battled, and uh, uh, then we lost it. But when it's eight seven, when it's eight seven, you're probably feeling like, okay, we didn't lose this game on the bus ride. Right, right. They came out, they responded. Oregon, you know, we went three and out. They went man, we were on spot to the boundary, and my guy doesn't pick the guy. Pissed that, you know, we should have still been on the field there. We had a nice third and four, mm-hmm. first drive, three and out. I'm like, God bless America, you know. Um, don't be deer in the headlights here. It's just you know, yellow uniforms. Uh, but then they score, and we came out the second drive. We kind of calmed everybody down, you know, boom. I think we might have woke them up a little bit. I said, all right, these guys aren't – let's put a stop to that. I'm sure the defense might have been a little upset. but um, And they did. I think that's all we scored the rest of the day, so <laughs> good for them. Bruce Barnum, good luck this week. Give them hell. Thanks. Thanks. Are you going, where are you going? Are you going to Lubbock? I'm going to Lubbock. i got to see it. All right. Good. Um, let me know. Uh, text right. me. You, you got right. my number. Let, let me know when, Bo, when, the, when Nix is out. You're predicting fourth quarter, early fourth. <laughs> um, yeah. and I probably shouldn't be saying this because I'm probably starting a, a bee's nest yeah. down there in Lubbock. But yeah, I won't, I won't no, say I, it. I, I, Oregon, I think Oregon's going to beat them from what I see okay. on film. I won't, okay. I've seen one game, one game. 
Um, if I was a betting man, I'd, that's what yeah. I'd be doing. All right, they blow them out. You should get a game with Texas Tech next week. Should be like that's a tournament. <laughs> should be a tournament. All right, thank you, Coach. All right, bye. Bruce Barnum, there he is, spitting truth. Well, we ran out of real estate on this show. I had this big segment, of course, uh, with uh, a bunch of uh, audio from the week, and we will play some of it here, but uh, we'll get to uh, a lot of this on tomorrow's show. we got great shows all week long and big guests, including Jonathan Smith, coming up on Thursday. You heard Bruce Barnum. He said he had a guy who got his ear ripped off during the football game against Oregon. We're fine, uh, you know. Knock on wood, we had we had one guy get his ear ripped off. Um, they sewed what? it back on. What? And <laughs> and now they say he has a concussion, and he can't, you know, so he's out. But I think he's fine. He's talking to me today, coach. He said, coach, he really got you. his ear, his ear like a Vander well, Holyfield. Not the whole ear, not the whole ear, but part he, partial ear detachment. I think wow. it was from when they he got his helmet knocked off, and I think his ear didn't come out so. of his helmet. Anyway, I'd so they were sewing so. him up, and so they I guess that means you have a concussion. And, and again, we're take we're making sure he's fine, so he'll sit out this game. But bigger problem: losing by eighty-one to seven, or losing your ear. What I love that he's out with a concussion, and Barnum's like, ah, he just got his ear ripped off, but the concussion's going to keep him out. Not the ear. The ear's fine. The concussion, eh, you're out. Portland State, Portland State needs to go and beat Wyoming this week. That's what needs to happen. That'd be the best thing ever. Leave it here. Uh, we'll catch you tomorrow on the show.